0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Psychic's Thoughts. I was going to make music. And then I decided, you know, I don't have the energy. I wrote a song, so there's that. And I decided, you know, I I read this uh, article briefly. I, um, today, I was on the phone, so I couldn't read it all the way through. And I went back and I read it afterwards, but the headline was the, um, that Microsoft is looking into um, investing, well, they are. They're investing uh, an estimated $10 billion into that. Uh, what's it? The Ch- Chat GPA, or GP, whatever it's called. It's the AI program that writes essays for students, <laughs> but they're investing in the company that designed it, OpenAI, or whatever they're called. And it got me thinking. All right, We've been seeing the rise of directly related AI stuff, you know, in it, to a consumer level, not just like your, you know, uh, voice command AI assistants. Those have been around since 2011, 12, 13, and have been improving, you know. But we're seeing the rise as of 2023 and on. We're seeing the rise of AI generated art or work works of art writing paintings well digital art but you know digital art writings essays um as well as basic automated processes and it got me thinking about a lot of stuff that I've been thinking about recently it just kind of all connects about technology and the application of technology and how it's being used and where it may be going from here. And I'll be honest with you. Are there things to be worried about? Is there things that greatly threaten our well-being? Yes. And I'm not ignoring the fact that that's there, right? Right. I'm not ignoring the fact that AI having as much control as they may have could limit human input, right? It can take away people's livelihoods and jobs. I'm not saying that technology can't destroy the world that we've built and or that it can't be used by people who have uh, malintent. Technology is an incredible and beautiful thing, something that humans are able to produce to better our circumstances. And I think it's important that we always understand that. Technology is the wheel, right? Technology is the pen with ink in it. Technology is paper, right? Older forms of technology, but nonetheless... Things that have helped advance society, cars, planes, cell phones, the internet, oxygen masks, respiratory devices, so on and so forth, right? The list goes on and on. Almost everything that we know of is a man-made technological advancement that helps aid and accommodate our lifestyles. No one bats an eye at the technology when it helps someone live life, especially someone with a disability. I mean, not nobody, but most people, right, especially in America. No one's like, oh, a wheelchair, (laughs) right, or uh, a hearing aid. We understand that that's something that somebody needs because they are suffering from a physical impairment, that they have nothing, that, you know hard to live life right so technology ultimately is an incredible thing it's what allows you to listen to me it's what allows me to create the brand and the content and do what i want to do technology fuels video games it fuels film it fuels music it fuels art it fuels communication if we didn't have technology advanced the way we did me being in a long-term relationship would be very, very, or long-distance, well, and it's long-term, but long-distance relationship, it'd be very, very difficult. It still is very difficult, but it'd be much more difficult. If we didn't have technology at the point that we had it during 2020, during COVID lockdowns, as awful as COVID was, it would have been worse, (laughs) right? If we didn't have Zoom or any other video conferencing methods, And ways of communicating with friends and family. Texting people. So I want you to remember that as we delve further into this topic of technology and the different forms of it and how it's used. And I'm just giving my thoughts and I'm just giving what I know, what I've experienced, what I've learned, right? It's really easy to skewer negative I've been on talk panels on Clubhouse and other things. I remember I was in one once, and their entire, their entire argument was that technology, they were trying to argue that technology is bad. Not all technology. Obviously, they acknowledge, like, like I said, wheelchairs and riding and cars, but modern technology, social media more specifically, is what they are trying to pin at. And I'm like, no, it's not. I'm like, it can be bad. Anything can be bad. And it's not inherently the greatest thing ever. I'm not going to say, oh, social media technology, it's the best thing ever. I think it's incredible and it served me greatly, but I understand it's not always great. It can it can have just as equal negative effects on a community or on an individual. And I'm not saying that that's not the case. But at that panel, they were trying to argue that's just it's just bad for people. And I said, okay, I guess... You can argue that, I said, but we're on Clubhouse, (laughs) all talking to each other. We're all in different parts of the country. Without social media, without the necessity of social media, and without the technology to back it, we wouldn't be having this conversation, (laughs) at least not in the forum that we're having it in, with the ease of access. Technology has emboldened people to be able to explore and learn outside the confines of what they currently have at their disposal. It's an incredible thing if used properly. And I think that's the bigger deal because when you look at history and when you look at a lot of things that we as, as species use and utilize, it isn't necessarily the object in play. It can be, I'm not saying it isn't, but it, it isn't just that. It's how it's applied, right? One great and very stark example of this is uh, nuclear power right? I'm not a nuclear physicist, so I'm not going to get into it because I don't know this shit as well as a nuclear physicist would. And I fucking hate when people just go on tirades and talk about stuff they absolutely know nothing of, right? Nothing beyond the basics of what you might know from class or from just looking it up. So I'm not going to get into that, but I will say this. We have nuclear bombs that are one of the most horrible creations humanity has ever formed. The damage and devastation that a nuclear bomb causes is greater than anything you could possibly imagine. It's horrible. But on the flip side, with some of the same technology and understanding of nuclear uh, physics, we created nuclear power plants. Are they the greatest things in the world? No. No but they are more efficient than coal-based power in a lot of regards, right? And that's all I'm saying. It's how it's applied, and it doesn't always mean it's inherently good all the time. There's always consequences to something that is put in play. Yes, nuclear power is cleaner and is more efficient than some of the other sources of power that we use as a society. But it isn't the most clean and the most efficient, and it's also very volatile. So if something goes wrong at a power plant, it's basically a tinderbox of a massive nuclear explosion with fallout radiation and all of that. So my point is, to preface these things, that technology isn't inherently great and it isn't inherently evil. It just is. And it's how it's applied and how it's used. And so as I go on, I'm not really going to just talk negatively about technology. We are living in an age of counter knowledge and conspiracy theories, taking the forefront of actual fact, logic, and understanding of our existence, right? Conspiracy theories are entertainment. They serve no validity or legitimacy in understanding our world around us. Why? because they deny the basic laws of figuring out how shit works. They don't follow the scientific method. They aren't changed or reinforced in positive ways or reworked to better understand the world around us. They are very focal focused narrative points by an opinionated few that's vocalized, which makes it easier to talk about because conspiracy theories are fiction. So you could talk about it because they don't fucking exist. Are they fun? Are they entertaining? Sure. But they're not proven. They have as much legitimacy as a kid on a playground talking about something that they saw that they absolutely didn't. If they said they saw Spider-Man and Superman team up and beat the shit out of somebody, you wouldn't believe them. Why? Because Spider-Man and Superman are, um, unfortunately, they're not real. Also, even if they were, would they know about each other? Because those are two different... Anyway, the point is that we live in that era. So, because we're living in this age of counter-knowledge and conspiracy theory and people saying, but what is real? Well, what a stupid question. We know what's real. You can't undermine the foundation of what we know to be real to strengthen a point that's completely fictitious. Because when you do that, You make it hard to have a debate or a dialogue. You just make it a one-sided argument that doesn't need to be an argument in the first place. If you want to argue that technology is bad, you can. But you also have to acknowledge where technology is good. That's what makes it a more sound argument. So I just want to preface this whole subject going in that I'm not going to be talking conspiracy theories. I'm not going to be talking... Negatively about this, you know, because when a podcast is talking about technology and social media, it often skewers into the realms of "all but they kill these people because I talk blah blah blah." blah. Um, I, I, I make movies for a living. I'm gonna save that horse shit for a good movie, you know. I'm not gonna be telling people misinformation just because it benefits me. That's not how I work, you know. And I, I've got nothing against specific podcasts that are publicly stating their conspiracy theory channels and they're just having fun with it. That's fine. That's entertainment, right? That's storytelling. That's fine. What I don't like is when podcasts or people or individuals are a loudspeaker for disinformation or misinformation using points or redundancies found in conspiracy theories. So anyway, moving on from that. I just wanted to get that out of the way. Because it's not, this isn't a political show. This is not a stance on, I mean, it involves politics, but I'm not taking a side. I'm not saying this is good or bad. I'm just observing. So I'll mention some good, I'll mention some bad. But I mostly just want to make connections. And I want to point out things that maybe you notice or maybe you don't. Because technology is changing right before our very eyes. And it's kind of important to keep an eye on it as it changes so let's get into it okay welcome back ladies and gentlemen so um, ignore my dog clittering clicking and clacking with his long nails <laughs> Um, okay so I want to first talk about this kind of emergence of the whole talks of metaverse and AI and all that stuff right Yes, it's been around, but it's, like, been heavily in the public eye and discussion for the past year, year and a half now. And it's interesting. Uh, first, I want to just get across what Metaverse is. What it actually is, not what companies and people are confusing it with. The Metaverse is a, from my understanding, is a subsection of the Internet. I mean, obviously you need an Internet connection to access it, Right. And quite literally, and the reason why Facebook rebranded their name to Meta and is pushing VR is because, in theory, what they're trying to do is make the Metaverse a virtual playground for you to be fully immersed in via VR, augmented reality, and and stuff like that. And so it's a huge push to start populating these areas and making it that way. Think of it as the Oasis in Ready Player One, right? That's all it is. That's what it's trying to be. Right now, it's in its infancy, and it's fucking hideous. (laughs) VR is super fun. VR gaming is super fun. And I don't want people to think that like when you get a VR headset, either you're part of the metaverse instantly. No. It's just another hardware thing. It's like a computer, laptop, tablet, phone, whatever. It's just like that. It's just different in how it operates, obviously. And you could play games that are designed for VR that are solely within that game. It's like you boot up a game on a Xbox or PlayStation. When you boot up a game like that, you're not in the metaverse. <laughs> That's not how that works. At least from my understanding, you're just online. Welcome to the 2020s, 2020s, I guess. You're on the internet. Congrats. That's not the metaverse. If you log into Meta Horizons on a vr headset and walk in there that's quite literally the building block foundation for that company to build the metaverse on other companies have different ideas of what the metaverse is which is why it's such a weird fucking thing to talk about because it's not actually a clear stated oh this is what the metaverse is everyone can tap into it nope and even if it was it would still be owned by a company so that's first and foremost and right now people are kind of conflating the two internet and metaverse even companies will say, oh, yeah, we're we're investing in the metaverse. Like, no, you're not. You're just investing in growing your uh, platform on the Internet. <laughs> I mean, that's that's all you're doing. I mean, the Internet's getting more advanced than it was in the 90s, right? Obviously, but it doesn't change what the Internet is and how it works. So the metaverse is going to be one of those things that's still going to be popular, Still going to continue to grow. It's a stupid name, but it's, you know, it is what it is. But think of it as the oasis. And there are companies and individuals trying to make strides to be a part of that. And I think the first explosion of understanding that that could be a consumer related thing as much as it is a more hidden corporate thing right now that they're building up is with the emergence of nfts right and crypto and all of that now crypto bitcoin all that that's that's separate that's a viable way of having a digital universal and digital currency that is not regulated by one entity right it is the ultimate example of laws of fair. that's fine right bitcoin is the best example of that however you gotta understand the reason why most people invest in bitcoin isn't to have a Bitcoin, I don't care, it's to have something that is worth a lot in stocks, so they can cash out and get cash, (laughs) money, you know, the actual shit that you need to survive still in this day and age, that's why, so that's the other thing, NFTs, people for the most part are not buying them to have an encrypted digital collection, most people know you can just screenshot it. And yeah, yeah, I know. A corporation might have access to peer into your screenshots. Maybe not. Maybe they do. Who knows? But it depends on the company, really. But And depends on how safe you are online. Which is another thing that I do want to iterate. It doesn't matter how much you don't care about what other people see or think about you. You still, just like going out in public, you have to have some basic precautions, measures, and things in place to keep yourself safe online. It doesn't mean you're hiding anything. It doesn't mean you're doing anything nefarious. It's just being mindful of your digital well-being, which is very much a real thing. The less careful you are about that, the easier it is for someone to take advantage of that, or for a company to, more likely just a company. And it's not like they're going to sell your information on the dark web. They might, but that's not really what they care about. And I know conspiracy theorists are losing their mind right now. They're like, oh, you don't know that. And like, I don't know that, which is why I'm not going to talk about it, because neither do you. Right? But anyway, um, what I do know, and what is publicly stated, and is evident in our daily interactions in life is there are a lot of tech companies and companies in general that use your information for targeted advertisements and you might not, and you might be like, well, I'll just ignore it. Yeah, but there is subliminal marketing at play and they're playing the long game and they've mastered it. And this is not conspiracy. I mean, there is documented, um, Ah shit, you could j- you could literally go into your Google settings, go into Google Advertisements and see all the information they have on you. They're being quite transparent with showing what they have on you. Because they're not doing it for nefarious purposes, they're doing it just to advertise better. And if you really don't mind that, then fine. But I'll tell you this much, I don't like it. I don't like being persuaded, coerced. I don't like my time, my energy, and my data bandwidth being taken away by ads or my battery on whatever device I'm using. So, I take some basic precautions. I have a password manager, which is just helpful in general because a lot of things require passwords, and if you have a singular password manager that you trust or that you want to invest in, I would. Right? It's just it's just convenient and it keeps things a little safer, a little easier to access, a little cleaner. It's not perfect, but it's something. And, and that's the thing. I think people need to realize everything I'm going to talk about today, and in general, when I discuss these things, or when people do, everyone wants to argue, well, it's not 100% safe. And it's like, well, unless someone actually stated it was, why are you arguing that? That's the other thing. I, I get that a lot when I talk to people about this stuff. They're like, well, you still know that it's not 100% safe. I'm like, I know it is, dipshit, but I, I'm aware of that, but it's still 25% safer than the previous method I was doing, so I'm going to do that. Right, just because something isn't one hundred percent the best option doesn't mean it's not an improvement from the previous. Doesn't mean you still can't improve your quality of life or your well-being in the process. Right, and that's something that drives me nuts. It's it's a new arguing point that I've never seen before until these past two to four years, where people are like, "Yeah, that's fair, but you know, it's still not great." And I'm like, "Oh, okay." But like I said, it's still from my personal experience or for what I need, it's better than what I had before. So I'm going to do that. And that's just dependent on you. So if you find it useful, if you want to use it and it is better than what you previously said, knock yourself out. Do whatever helps you, right? So I'm not saying you gotta do all these things. I'm not saying you're wrong if you don't. I'm just showing you some info. And if you if it if you think it'll help your daily situation or or it's interesting to look into, by all means. So, I use Brave, right? And I'm not sponsored by anyone or anything. Um, um, I'm just telling people because I like it. Uh, it's, just, it's a search engine. You can download it. It's on the phone, it's on, it's on every device. Uh, it's open source, which is nice. Um, you can use any search engine within it. I use their native one, but you can use whatever other search engine in the application itself, right? In the app. It does sync with other devices. You can create a sync chain so it syncs the same info on your phone, on your computer, and whatever else you use. Um, it has one of the best in built-in ad blockers and privacy things. And it literally tracks. You hit the little thing, you can turn off the ad blocker on a by a, just by a switch. It, especially if it breaks in a website, but it blocks a lot. And you can actually see the general information, how many ads and trackers it's blocking at that moment on that web page and then you can open up advanced details and see what company is tracking it it saves bandwidth it saves time it saves their battery and it really does reduce the amount of emails spam emails um, pop-up ads and general shit that i get so it's just more streamlined it's cleaner it's faster and for those who are on Chrome, which I highly, highly, highly recommend you get off of. Because Chrome, as as convenient as it is, it is, it kills your RAM. It just chews up your RAM on a computer, for one. It melts the battery on fucking anything you use. It tracks the everlasting fuck out of everything you do. And lastly, it's not as safe as it could be. Safari, DuckDuckGo, Mozilla, Firefox, Brave are much safer alternatives because they have had so many breaches and compromises because it's such a big company right and their security uh systems they're solid but they're not they're getting better but over the summer last summer they had this huge data breach that compromised millions of google users it's actually it was called a net zero i think it was called a net zero or zero day hack and it was a very, very dangerous malware where if you opened up Google that day, they patched it immediately, thank God. But in that day, if you opened up Google, it would insert malware into your device and could possibly wipe everything on there or or steal info or something. I forget the specifics, but it was a really scary breach. Those things are going to happen. That's what happens, right? And luckily, Google's an advanced and, and big enough company. They got on it within a 24-hour period, thank God. So... But it's just stuff like that, you know. But beyond that, that's just a one-off. I'm not saying switch because of that. I, 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 that can happen anywhere at any time. But the the fact that it really chews up your battery on your device and can kill your your battery, and it and it's not as fast. It's really it's so much slower in everything it does. I've realized a dramatic difference since using Brave. Reduction ads, better battery, faster web browsing. So that's what I use. But anyway, that's one basic step. Password managers, watching your ad blockers, updating your uh, devices, especially for security updates. Those are just basic safety things, right? Common sense stuff. Don't press links you don't know about anymore on any, in any way. Read the headers of the email. Read where the username is actually coming from, not the formulated username that could be edited. You know, just basic stuff to look out for. That's all part of cybersecurity. Just the general basics. Anyone can do it. You don't need a, you don't, all this is free. You don't need a $100 program. You can have one, but it, these are just common practices. Common sense practices that help prevent possible problems, right? Have backups, uh, hard drives, have a backup to the cloud, have both, right? These are good things to know. And to just be aware of, I I think. And with the advancement of AI, right? In some regards, AI is is an incredible tool that helps people, especially in certain fields, right? Um, It helps process and render information faster than the human can. And I know we always think Terminator, and that's always something to keep in mind, because this shit can get really, really scary really, really quick. But once again, it's how we use it. You know, know that when you have a device with a microphone and a camera, it can be accessed without your consent. You got to just know that, right? Or the metadata collected by the company, right? And it's usually by the manufacturer. It's very rarely from an individual hacking into your home to look at your ring or to look at your iPhone. Is it possible? Sure. But it's really difficult. And most people don't give a shit about you that much. Unless you're an important figure, right? Then you might need some better precautions. Right? So, it's a fine line. You don't need to be paranoid and afraid of technology because technology greatly aids and and makes life better in many regards. But you want to be mindful. You don't want to just blindly do, click, and subscribe and follow and, you know, get in everything, because there's a lot of shit that gets in the way. And this whole AI thing is interesting to me. It scares me a little bit, I will say. I am interested in the application of it and the processing power of it, but it also does frighten me a little bit. With deepfake technology, which is, for those who may not know, that whole video thing where video-picture kind of hybrid where, or audio you could basically make... It's very expensive and it takes a lot of work to do it, so it's not just easily done, but you could basically, from really well-made deepfake technicians or whatever, they could really make someone look and sound like a celebrity or like an important figure. That's dangerous, right? That has national security implications involved, right? If you can make someone look like the president saying something that's a big deal that's dangerous right so there are bad things about it right now it's used just to show the effects and what it can do right so deep fake i'm a little uncomfortable with i do think the technology is interesting but i don't think the application is all necessary it's basic decency we're still humans and the way we enact and use these tools can be for good or can be for bad. And that's the bigger takeaway. Um, so the whole AI chat, writing up an essay, I don't necessarily think that's the greatest thing. I think it's a cool tool, and I think maybe for some people it might be very useful. I'm not 100% against it, but the whole point of writing essays and doing that is so you learn. <laughs> you know? Yeah, to have something that aids you if you literally are struggling is fine, right? But to to randomize or to not have it be your own writing so therefore you're not thinking or learning about it, I think actually feeds into a larger issue. Truly the most detrimental thing about technology I find right now, other than its extreme cinematic malintent that could be used, right? It could be weaponized. It could be a hack. It could be taking out your phones, all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all still there. Very possible and very scary, but that's more of a cinematic flair. That, that doesn't happen every day. The thing that does happen every day that technology does assist in is it allows people to take shortcuts, Which is understandable. I do it too. And I think because of that, and because of the addictive properties of social media more specifically, it can create this lethargy towards figuring something out on your own. It doesn't mean you can't, it doesn't mean you won't. I think it actually, a lot of it has to do with how you're raised and how you're brought up and what you prioritize. When I see something online that I know isn't for entertainment value, it's something that's spitting a fact at me or something. You know, other than like the weather, like, oh, it's raining today. Okay. Well, you know, all I have to do is look at my window. Yep. That's true. (laughs) You know, but, but like when it's stuff that is like teaching me something new about this industry or that thing or whatever, I always just double check it. Right. And that's the thing with science and with the news and with things that we understand, things change. We don't understand everything instantly. And sometimes people are just trying to publish what they know at the moment. And I don't think we need to villainize that. I think we need to be wary of it, right? I'm tired of when people are like, Oh, well, you know, that this scientific thing isn't a hundred percent, it may not work. This is like, yeah, it probably won't. (laughs) So what they'll do is they'll take what they failed in. They'll learn from it. They'll improve it. That's how everything works. That's how we improve stuff. You know, you don't throw a fit about it when it's an app, right? It works enough, but you don't act it's partially because you don't know that it doesn't work, and it's not as detrimental to your well-being, right. So I do think it allows people to not have to look deeper further right? Because it's right there in front of you and it's easy to access. And it doesn't mean it's not true. It doesn't mean, sometimes it, because it's a shortcut, because it's so efficient, it's telling you stuff and you don't have to look further. And that's actually kind of great sometimes. It saves you a lot of time, right? You know, you think about it 30, 40 years ago, people had to go to the library to look this shit up, right? Or Or they had to just talk to somebody who knew this shit. And that person may not have known everything. And the information that was updated took weeks to months to actually officially or publicly update for the population. It's an incredible thing that new information, new findings, things we understand or learn or know of in our world, in our existence, can be updated, changed, and reported on almost instantaneously. But on the flip side... What that also creates is it creates a conundrum where people find just the one or two words or the heading, and they don't read further. They read the headline. The headline's entire purpose always is to grab you. <laughs> yeah, it's based in truth, but it's, di- well, unless it's like fake news, but it's based in a, in a truth of some sort, and it's designed to just pull you in so you read the article. They, they need you to read the damn article. And unless you read that article, you don't know exactly what they're talking about. Because the headline is just a title. It's it's the same with a movie. You can't go and you can't... you You will know something of the movie. Right? And it depends on how well it's titled. But if you've never seen Inception, and you don't know jack shit about it, and you read the name, guess what? <laughs> and you just read the title, and then you talk about the movie as if you've seen it. Which I've met... So many people who have done that, it is unbelievable. It's weird. It's the same thing. It's the same thing when you read anything or look up anything. And so that's, that's the problem. I think it creates the lethargy and the desire and, the, and, it, and it dampens. It doesn't kill. It doesn't destroy. It just dampens the natural inquisitive or curiosity that people have to look at things further. And what this counter knowledge movement and conspiracy theories and these truth sayers who, if you say, if you call yourself a truth sayer, that'd be like going into a room and saying, now I didn't kill anybody. Okay. You might not have, but people are going to immediately, people should immediately assume maybe some, maybe you did. Cause why, why else would you say that? That's what that tells me when you, when I've heard, when someone's like, yeah, so I'm a truth sayer. I'm like, okay. I mean, I didn't think you weren't. But now I, now I think you're going to lie on everything you say. You know what I mean? It's that weird psychology behind it. But but that's the thing. I feel like a lot of people who do research at home, which I think is good. I do research at home. I do research on my own. Right? I make sure through my sources. And my sources may not be right all the time. Here's the difference. When they're not and I've realized I've made an error, I either correct it or I say, oh, my bad, I didn't know that. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, no. I don't hunker down and scream my point louder. I think that's when it gets to a point where it's emotive and defensive and it's no longer a discussion or debate. It's just an argument. And it doesn't benefit anybody. So I think people should be allowed to look things up. And I think the access of the Internet is an incredible tool. It's all of humanity's knowledge wrapped up in one. But how you use it and how you know what to look for is crucial to the point where I believe schools should have curriculum teaching kids how to properly and safely use the internet because it's the wild west. Anything goes. Yeah, it's company owned. Yeah, there are policies and regulations for safety, but not a lot, (laughs) right? You, you can look up or read something and think it's real, Without knowing. There are trusted sites who do years of research, who do go against the, the grain, do the scientific method, who do just grueling work to figure out if at that point of publishing their research, their findings, if it's true. That doesn't mean it's always true. That doesn't mean it stays true. It just means at that time, that is what we know right? It's not absolutes. We don't deal in absolutes. We have to stop dropping. We have to start dropping that, that thought process that everything's an absolute. So if someone states something, that's how it is for the rest of time. No, (laughs) it changes. And, And that's where conspiracy theories wiggle its way in. It stokes that general curiosity that people naturally have. And it says, but it, but it spins it where it makes you the hero and everyone else is the villain. Why? Why would the government be hunting you down? Are you really that important? Probably not. You want to be. Oh, we're living in the Matrix. If I see another fucking post about someone saying, we're living in the Matrix. Dog, the Matrix was a made-up movie. Yeah, it had great metaphors and commentary on the usage of the internet and the abuse of corporations, right? And people being controlled. Are they really in control What is freedom? Those are all great questions. But when you just tweet, oh, I'm part of the Matrix, they're coming for me. Shut the fuck up. No, they're not. The authorities might be coming for you because you did something illegal. (laughs) Or your, your assets might be seized because you've been lying to the public and that's, you know, you get sued for that. You know what I mean? Matrix is a fictional movie. It's not real. You know, is it fun to poke at the thought that maybe we're living in a simulation? Well, of course. It's very entertaining. Are we? We don't know. So do we need to act like we do? No. That's my point. If you don't know, you know, and and, and I don't want to hear it when people are like, Oh, well, if you don't know, how do you know this? It's like, what? Right? Listen, I'm not just going against people who... I'm not trying to attack anyone, I I am trying to just highlight how dangerous conspiracy theories can be. Yes, they're entertaining, but they walk a fine line and they can be very, very, very hairy, right? Um, But there's a bigger problem at play. There's been a counter-knowledge movement that started in the 80s, really, a modern one, right? It's the same movement that that claimed that vaccines cause autism. They do not. They never have. They never will. It was just an angry mother who didn't want to vaccinate her children. So she thought of the most horrendous way to dissuade people, right? Remember, the AIDS epidemic was called the gay cancer for 10 years by by the U.S. government when, in fact, it didn't just exclusively kill gay people. And even if it did, it causes a stigma right? That's the problem, right? You lose the desire to make sure that these things make sense. And sometimes it's just common sense, right? But convenience and the ease of access allows us to forego the further findings and thinking about it more. And I think that's what scares me personally the most, Right. if you like conspiracy theories as entertainment, and you can clearly distinguish both, if you understand that astrology is not scientifically backed in any way whatsoever, it was thousands of years ago, because it's what they knew of, but just because you're a Pisces doesn't mean anything. Now, if you find meaning in that, If it's a way you can quickly identify with people and socialize, I got no problem with that. I understand that. We find things that we can easily identify and socialize with, and I think that's important. I do. So if that's your thing, knock yourself out. Right? People who play video games, right? If you're a Rainbow Six Siege heavy player like myself, if everyone just started walking around saying, I'm more of a tachanka, right? You're a walking meme. And if you say, Oh, I'm more of a thermite. I, you classic, you grounded, you know what I mean? But it's not real. It's not It doesn't mean anything. It's fun. It's entertaining. And it might help us. So it might be good social lubricant that helps you connect with people. So in that regard, I have no problem with astrology. It's entertaining. It's fun. And I understand that it helps people communicate and it's a good social tool. But it's not fact. It doesn't mean that because you're this, then this will happen indefinitely. That's when it gets dangerous. Because then people start basing their choices and decisions and behaviors on something that is not verified in any legitimate sense, that hasn't been proven, and or furthermore, that just doesn't make sense. (laughs) Right? You have to take responsibility for your own actions and consequences. If you're terrible at dating and you say, oh, it's because I'm a Virgo or whatever, it's not because you're a Virgo. It's because you're terrible at dating. Don't conflate the two. Right? It's because you did something or they did something. You know, it takes two to tango anyway. So, right? It, it, It has nothing to do with your astrology, your horoscope. Right? If it's something that helps you, great. But when you start using it as means to your behavior, then it becomes a problem. Right? And I, and I hope, and I, I know, I, I get more backlash for talking about this than anything else. I, people don't like when I talk about these things because it makes them uncomfortable. Or because it sounds condescending and mean. And I'm not trying to be condescending and mean. Like I've said, if you enjoy these things and if you can distinguish the two, that's fine. What I'm just getting at is the people who willfully and intent with intent weaponize these tools of communication and understanding from a social level and a psychological level to manipulate people, whether for profit or just to get them to believe you. That's when I have a problem. And why am I talking about all this? Because it's directly tied to technology and social media. The growing access of having the world at your fingertips and the knowledge is a beautiful and incredible tool, but it comes with caveats. And some of those caveats are lethargy towards critical thinking and understanding that you need to dig a little further sometimes, or at least make sure there's multiple sources saying the same thing. And then to hold on to that with skepticism and say, yeah, this is what I know of now. You know, this is how I understand it. Maybe this will change because it inevitably will. We don't know all about space. We don't know all about the oceans and we don't know all about our brains. (laughs) Those are some pretty thing, pretty big things that we don't know even the surface level of, you know? So with that in mind, that means a lot of what we understand will change. But right now at this current inflection point, inflection point, no, that's not right. Inf- infraction point? Hmm. I don't know which word goes with that. Anyway, at these crossroads, right? At this current state of um, contention, I guess. We're, we're at risk of harming the foundation to allow us to better understand and communicate with one another. If you want to use these things for entertainment, by all means, please do so. But if you're using it to disprove what we already know, you're causing a much bigger ripple effect that you may not realize. Sometimes people are like, oh, it's just a joke, it's just a meme. We know it's not real. You know it may not be real, but that does not mean that someone who doesn't understand you quite uh, well enough or kids or someone else won't. And That's where we run the risk. And that's actually the most damning thing for me that scares me about social media as well, which I'm about to get into the next subject. So I apologize for kind of going off the rails and talking about conspiracy theories, counter knowledge, uh, fact versus uh, fiction, all that. But I do think it's a very, very important cornerstone of the modern 2020s, right? It's a war of information and knowledge. That is how things change. But that's also how things don't change. And I find that to be very, very concerning. Right now, if you're into science, if you're into fact, you are ousted. Not ousted, outed. See? Um, That's a problem to me. Because everything that we use and know of is in part due to science. Science should be beloved because what it does is it says, this is what we know, and we're going to do some shit to see if we can challenge what we know. And if, if we realize that what we know may be different, we're going to update it. That should be the coolest shit ever to people. It literally means that's the other thing. Facts and scientific theory is not a locked in dead end result. There are some things that are, you can't change, but a lot of things aren't, just because it's scientific theory and just because it's a fact doesn't mean it's period point, it can't change. In fact, what it means is up into what we know of, it won't change until something better comes along. The scientific method has helped society more than it has hurt. But even with science, even with technology, it can be applied for poor Uh, for evil things, right? Eugenics, weapons of mass destruction, viruses, right? And I don't mean COVID. (laughs) Don't think I mean COVID. I mean, you know, uh, the Native Americans, right? Or syphilis or things like that. I don't think COVID was (laughs) man-made. It doesn't. I mean it's SAR it's SARS, it's a variation of SARS. SARS is the bird flu. So, no, I don't think it's man made. I do think it you know I think it was propelled by man because we just didn't take precautions. And I think that's the damn it most damning thing. Remember, the swine flu fucked people up. It was very infectious. Ebola was even worse. Not as infectious, but far more lethal. Right? Zika, malaria, all these things, they're very, very, very damaging. And they would have had the same, if not worse, consequences than coronavirus. But at that time, we had scientists and officials and people who took that shit seriously. And we had a general public who understood what to do and tried. During the swine flu, mind you, that wasn't even, you know, that was what, 2007, 2008? During that whole thing, what did we do? We washed our hands. Once again, same with COVID. We washed our hands to happy birthday. I was eight years old when this happened, so I remember it pretty fondly. Not fondly, i vividly, I should say. Um, we reduced our, well, you know, the FDA and, and other um, industries had to watch the pork, right, and, and pig-related products. and a better quality check of those. People reduced their pork consumption for that year for those that were eating it. Or pig consumption in general, we washed our hands, and when we were sick, we stayed home and stayed away from each other. It wasn't—I don't—I don't believe it was as infectious as COVID. I—I I don't know. I—I'm just speaking from the little I know, so I'm—I'm I'm not sure about that part. But nonetheless, it was a general national public health crisis, and it could have blown up and got worse. Understand that every disease that we find that is of like that level and it did it, it infected it, it impacted millions of people i don't think it was quite as lethal though um once again i'm not 100 sure you can look that up though uh but my point is we as a first off the government handled it better but then beyond that and other world governments handled it better but then beyond that point we as a populace handled it better look at new zealand New Zealand has very, very minimal um, COVID deaths and infections. Why? Because they followed the science. They closed down. They had their people mask up. They kept their distance. They washed hands. Obviously, they don't have as many people. It's a much smaller uh, nation, and it's way, way easier to close down. So uh, obviously, that, that's part of it. But then, And, and the impact is far less severe. Why do you think that is? It's because they listened to science and they executed on it. That's it. That's it. Simple as that. And as the science updated, oh, actually, six... Oh, fa- uh, Actually, you know, uh, two weeks, uh, 14... Whatever. When the science changed and updated, we changed with it, they changed with it. And for that, they weren't as heavily impacted. America didn't. So, and it's harder. I mean, America was going to get more... Larger countries were going to be more heavily impacted. So there, there is that, but still. So, um, yeah, I, 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 it just drives me nuts. It drives me nuts when there are people who don't believe COVID is real. Okay. It must be nice living in your world, right? It drives me nuts when people think that what we experience isn't real. What that does is that invalidates people's hardships, I don't think that's a kind or generous approach to anything. Even if you don't agree with the approach of something, that doesn't mean you can't be empathetic towards someone who is directly affected by so. Listen, I'm I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but if an anti-vaxxer came up to me and said, hey, I I don't believe in vaccines and I lost someone from COVID, I'm not going to attack them because they don't see eye to eye with me. I'm going to empathize with the fact they lost someone. That's it. I don't need to attack them. That doesn't benefit them. They've had, they're have had they their own person. They've lived life hard long enough, hard enough, right? How does that benefit anything? We can have a discussion on what we think is the best approach. And we might both be wrong in certain areas, and we might both be right in others. That's the crazy thing about us as people. Not everything is so black and white, red and blue, There's more of a middle ground than we may not understand. And that's where I lay. I lay in the middle, right? So I just want people to understand that going forward, that this is a big factor, right? COVID was a huge deal. It changed the way we perceive things. The emergence of the social media and internet in general and the usage of technology towards that and the counter-knowledge movement, the conspiracy theories, the denial of science is a real, growing, legitimate problem. It happens every so often and it really, really, really sets back the progress of humanity. Right? It happened in the early 2000s. Right? Another anti-vaccine movement, sure, but then also with the whole global climate change. Right there's a whole movement to reduce and ban fracking and fossil fuels, but there was more of a pushback and like all oh, the, the, the all the clean energy, all that shit. We are suffering the consequences of not acting. Then we are suffering the consequences of in America of electing a president who is so was so pro oil it was almost humorous. Because of those consequences, we are now living in the hottest days every year on record. Right? So don't think that technology, that all of this, and that the discussion of such isn't important. If you're not comfortable by it, good. Stick around and listen to more. Because even if you're not comfortable, that doesn't mean I'm attacking your views. That doesn't mean I don't care about you. I feel like that's part of something we've lost since the Trump administration. Very much so. We've lost the ability to understand that just because I don't see eye to eye with you doesn't mean I'm not personally attacking you. I've had people personally attack me because they don't see eye to eye with me. I don't do the same. And I've had plenty of people who don't. You know, it's a mixed bag. But I don't do that. I've got friends of all beliefs, political spectrums, different from mine. My friendships with them and how I care about them and their family and their loved ones is more important to me than how I perceive their their perceptions. <laughs> it matters, but it doesn't matter so much for me to lose a friend. And I think people need to understand that there is more we accomplish if we find a middle ground, a common place, than there is if we focus on our differences. And it also means that we can still focus on each other's differences, but be respectful about it. That's it. You know, I'm not, you you may never agree with me. You may hate me for saying certain things. I may feel the same. I probably won't hate you, but you know, I may not like what you have to say. But nonetheless, I still respect you as an individual. And I think that's important. And I think technology is shifting the way we talk to one another. So let's talk about social media, convergence of communication and everything going forward stick around. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you made it through that segment. If you tuned out before then, then you missed a beautiful summary that hopefully brought things back to center because I went off on kind of a tirade. It, It, you know, it just goes against my fiber when people actively and willfully and with poor intent attack fact and science. You know, like I said, if you find stuff entertaining, by all means, knock yourself out. I'm a rapper and a filmmaker. I love stuff that's entertaining that's not real. You kidding me? You kidding me? I play video games. I talk about them for a living, right? I make movies. They're not real. Well, unless they're documentaries, and even then, that's still a perspective. But anyway, everything is. Everything has a bias, and everything is perspective-based. But anyway, my point is that I get it. I love entertaining things, you know? I just don't like when it attacks the foundations that we have and when it causes people to be worried about the very things around them. I think it's okay to be skeptical. I don't implicitly trust the government 100% on everything, and I don't trust everything around me. Oh, this is how it's got to be forever. In fact, what got me in trouble in school so many times and what got me in trouble in life is when I question things, and I say, wait, but why? Or are you sure? Or how do we know that? I think that's the healthiest response to anything. And I think if you're a parent and you teach your kids to always ask why, respectfully and appropriately, depending on the time and the place, Right? I think that's an important thing because that's what progresses humanity. Why? Why? Why do we think of it like that? Why do we believe in this? Why? How does it affect us? We have to keep that fire stoked forever. If we don't, the day that asking why dies is the day humanity suffers greatly in terms of progressing. And I think people who genuinely believe in conspiracy theories and don't think science is real, which I find fucking baffling because what everything that they know of is based in some truths of science, but anyway... Um, even if they don't believe in that and believing is an emotive response, it's not a logistical response. So you can't believe in climate change because it's happening. That's it. I mean, (laughs) could you imagine if someone came up to you and said, I don't believe in air, huh? You're breathing it though. I don't believe in it though. Okay. See how stupid that sounds? Anyway. I'm not saying you can't believe in error. You, you, you can. You, you don't have to believe in error. But I'm just saying that doesn't actually state a logistical or... not lo- a logical, excuse me, a logical or a factual stance on something. It, it's just a belief. Anyone can believe anything. That's their opinion. It's an exaggerated form of emotive or opinionated responses. And it's a great thing. It helps people through life and helps them understand and cope with things. We all believe in different things. That's fine. It's also why I don't attack people's beliefs. I like to ask questions about their belief because I want to hear more from their side. And I want them to think of it from my angle, but I'm not attacking it. If you believe in this or you believe in that, that's fine. Now, if you believe in stuff that actively harms people, then I'm fucking attacking it, right? There are people who believe the Holocaust didn't happen. I don't stand for that shit. The Holocaust happened. It was one of the most horrendous humanity events in all of history, and it always needs to be acknowledged as such. Anything shy of that I find to be utterly disrespectful to the history and to people in general, right? So there is that balance. And like I said, if you do find these things entertaining, if you do conspiracy theories of all that, by all means, knock yourself out. Some of my best friends do conspiracy theories. They don't believe that that is fact. They know that it's a conspiracy theory. It's literally in the name. It's just scary when it's not stated as a conspiracy theory and it enters the public discourse as factual information. That's when it gets worrisome. But anyway, moving away from that, because I need to get off that topic. I apologize for ranting, but I do believe communication is key. Understanding, respecting, and empathizing with one another is more important than anything else. And allowing ourselves to accept the reality that we currently live in while desiring, inquiring, and asking why and how to better our future is the best way we can function as a society. And I and I just and I, the reason why I talk about all these things isn't because I just wanted to rant about science and politics and life, but it's very important. It's key to our existence, and also beyond that, technology is unlocking it for so many people and allowing them to experience, talk about it, and see it. I've always been immersed in the science uh, stuff, you know, since a kid, reading books, researching stuff. I read- no, I enjoy reading nonfiction books more than I do fiction books. I'm a fucking nerd like that, you know. It's just what piques my interest. Um, but I do think um I think entertainment is just as valuable. I play video games, I listen to fictional music i <laughs> you know my two career paths are in entertainment the thing I love to do the most is creating entertaining experiences, right? I think entertainment is one of the greatest ways to reach people intellectually and emotionally. And that's partially why I do it. So, yeah. If you can make that clear divide and say that, oh, the, you know, if you can stand on the, if you're not a science denier and if you can empathize with where someone else is coming from, and if you can discern the information that is grounded and peer-reviewed and researched and and proven versus opinions or thoughts or possible inquiries or hypotheticals, then you're fine. I'm not going to be mad at someone if they can't do that. I'm going to be worried for them. And I'm going to try to help them, if I can, if it's appropriate, to discern that because it's important. It's the same reason why you don't let your kids play or watch too many things that are maybe too advanced for them at a certain age because you don't want them confusing it with life, right? When you're a kid, that's, that line of reality and fantasy is very thin because your brain is developing and brains are still developing and really stops fully growing and developing at 25 for what we know of, roughly, uh, at least for males. I think females is... Same range, really, I, I believe, but I could be wrong. But anyway, um, so yeah, that that that's part of it. That's definitely something, so that's how I treat it. I treat it like that. I, I treat it where the things that are actually packaged to walk that fine line and kind of be weird, is it fantasy, is it fiction? I've been fooled sometimes. I'm like, ah, huh, that seems real. And then I look into it, I'm like, nope, it's not. It's just really believable, fuck, you know? Um... Makes us kids again. Makes us live in fantasy world. And when we constantly live in fantasy world, without knowing it especially, without our consent or our will, or or willing to do so, things get lost. <laughs> so, that's it. Social media. Right, this is ultimately about technology, but technology intertwines and boosts all these things in different ways. So social media, let's talk about it. Um... As I said in the beginning, in my opening, I was in that panel one time on Clubhouse where they were arguing that oh, social media is terrible for you. <laughs> and I'm like, guys, we're on a form of social media. It, yeah, it can be bad for you. I'm not saying it can't be, but come on. Really? You don't like doing this shit? What would you rather be doing? You're doing it. It's just, it's so hypocritical. And I was the only one. I was the youngest one. So that was, that skewed a bias on their eyes towards me. They thought I was defending social media because I'm a, in my 20s. And partially, yeah, I fucking love social media. Right? But that doesn't mean I just like, oh, I follow everything, you know. Like I said, I still go do my own research when I see something that is presenting a factual stance. Right? I use social media for entertainment purposes and for communication. I also use it for marketing because with the Psychic brand, with my music, my films, and everything else I do, these podcasts included, I have to use social media. It's the best way to connect with my fan base, right? I move around a lot. I'm in a long distance relationship. I love the forms of communication that technology has provided us. And one of those forms is social media. It allows us to connect, understand, and see people's lives in ways we would have never been able to before. I think that's valuable see posts from people all around the world. I, I don't know what language you're speaking, but it's sure fascinating to see their life, even if it's a picture or a video, right? I think it can help people, right, understand that there's more beyond the world that they live in, whether it's their house, their town, their city, their state, or their country. It really helps break down barriers, Right? Um, social media has taken on a new form, right? In the early 2000s through 2010, it was this novel thing that the young kids were getting into, right? Facebook, MySpace, all that. Twitter, Instagram, so on and so forth. And that's, in America at least, that's how we know of social media. That is what we consider social media, yeah? Yeah. Applications that are, the designed intent is to socially communicate with people in media formats easily, right? Photos, videos, tweets, hashtags. All of those used to convey or communicate something to someone else, whether a group of people at random or directly messaging individuals, right? And it's an incredible tool. It allows small businesses to thrive. It allows artists or people like myself to build a following and a fan base who care about me and stay in touch with me. And of course I always appreciate that. Um, It allows friends to stay in touch. um, And it allows people to keep close to other people who they may not be around with anymore as much or hang out with or whatever. It's an incredible tool. It allows us to teach, to entertain, to learn, to communicate. I actually think if social media went away, I genuinely believe the world would actually be in a worse place. I do think a lot of the problems that we're facing right now, politically, uh, socially, would... Be reduced or curved a bit, but i but i I don't think it'd be good it'd eliminate communication with other people right It would actually create more echo chambers I've lived in big cities I've lived in small towns, and there is i've lived in rural places I've lived in urban places right, and I think part of that has informed me to keep in touch with all people on all places, spectrums, as much as possible, um, to learn from their perspectives, to learn from their side and to understand where they're coming from. Uh, you know, I, even if I don't particularly agree with it or would do what they do in life, uh, you know, I empathize and I could be friends with them. Great friends with people who I, I, couldn't see myself, you know, fitting in their shoes. I think that's kind of important. And I can do that through social media. I can learn about them and talk and and meet new people that way. And I do. All the time. Most of my close friends now I've met via social media, you know. Obviously, I think meeting people in person and being with people in person is still much more enjoyable and fun and better, but what are you going to do when you're across the country? You know what I mean? So, you know, I, I think with that in mind, I, I do believe that's a great thing. Um. And, and that's why I think if it went away, a lot of people would have issues. I sure would. But yeah, it's entertainment for me. It's also how I communicate with most of my friends and people who I've never met before. Not in person, at least. It's a new understanding in this modern age of how we socialize with one another that isn't just in person. And once again, in person is the strongest, one of the strongest ways, but I have constantly been understanding that it isn't not anymore. It's it's still obviously the most reliable. You meet someone in person, you hit it off with them, obviously there's going to be a better connection that way, always. And we all learned that when we were shut down in pandemic times, we couldn't be with our loved ones. I'm in a long-distance relationship. I'm very thankful to have social media, texting, and this technology, FaceTime and such, to keep up with my girlfriend, but my God, it is so much more enjoyable to be in person with her, right? However, interestingly enough, one of my best friends and closest friends I met through Instagram. We hit it off, and now we play video games and text and all that, and we're best friends, And because of life and circumstances and things, and I've stated this before, I've already mentioned this in my end-of-year game review, my buddy Seiz, who's a dope rapper, check him out, S-E-I-Z, he and I met online. We've been friends for five years, close friends, very, very good friends, and continue to be. Gonna play Dying Light 2 with him, which I will do a review on once I play more of it, by the way, for those interested. Um... Never met him. Want to. We will soon. But uh, but uh, never have. And we're very close friends. And that's because of social media. So, I, you know, I, I do think it has some incredible benefits to it. And I think anybody who says it doesn't is not aware of that. And that's okay. Maybe they haven't experienced it firsthand, but I have. It has cultivated or created some of the greatest friendships I've ever had. And more consistently in the past three or four years, it's... Been my form of engaging with other people outside um, my home, you know. So I I do think it's valuable. I think it's great entertainment. I think it's actually a really great way to teach people things. I I've learned a lot of cool things from social media, right? Watching a little facts or tips or tricks. You could still. It's not all hatred and misinformation and da 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 counter knowledge. It's there, and that's partially why I'm talking about it, because it's not only there, it's actually very popular, and it's very, very easy. And because it's so, well, volatile, but because it's so, more so, you know, if it bleeds, it leads sort of mentality, because it's more negative and aggressive and agitates people and creates a more exaggerated emotional response it's propelled by companies' algorithms, and repeated and cycled. And that's the danger. You know. But social media is a communication tool, and I and I what I really want to talk about is something people may not realize. Hopefully, you learn something from this, or just get my perspective on it, or you know, just kind of have a refresher and look at things in different ways, because. It's everything's far more dynamic, not everything's a pro and con, not everything's good or evil. There's more gray or middle ground than not, and it's all based on your personal experiences in life and I like once again at the at the underpinning of it all it's to me it's all about respect, empathy, reasoning, logical reasoning, emotional reasoning. those are the core pillars of I think what keeps a society happy and healthy. And I think a society clashing and arguing and trying to figure out its identity or trying to understand the world around it is okay. I just think it can also drastically damage in the long term some of the things that need to be done. And that's what I'm seeing. That's what I see could potentially happen. But there's other social medias that aren't explicitly understood to be social media. And that's also something I want to talk about. The first one, I guess more obvious, is the one you're currently utilizing. It's podcasts. It's a different format, but we're socializing. And audio is a media format, is it not? Um, a bigger one that I consider social media or partially social media is video games. I've mentioned this before video games is social media. You are interacting with video, audio, animation, all of it actually. And if you, unless you're playing completely alone, but if you're socializing, if you're talking to people online, if you're playing on an online match, you are engaging with people online. And you may communicate with them, and you may make friends with them. That's a form of social media. It's got components of it. Obviously, it's a video game, first and foremost. But it has components of the social media uh, psychology and elements. Some other ones you may not realize are social media that I consider social media. YouTube, especially the comments. As well as Spotify. Spotify, you... Engage with people's music. You can comment. and Well, I don't know if you can comment, but you can like. You share. There's playlists. It's very social-based. It's why when there's an artist, it says follow. Yes, you go and listen to their music but or their podcast or whatever, but you follow that individual artist. It's pretty impressive. So Spotify is definitely a social media. Um... And I I just find that interesting, and I've kind of known that, but it didn't fully click until recently, Um, until earlier 2022, summer, uh, August to September-ish, around that time, because, um, you know, and and I'm I'm very humbled and and thankful for this uh, event to occur, but my album, Dragon, uh, was doing okay doing all right, you know, 1,500 streams or so, One great, but wasn't, was on track to to kind of mirror general growth, right, I'm not a big name, I'm not making thousands and thousands of streams every month, Uh, I'm hoping to get to that point, I'm hoping to get to a point where eight months out of the year, I get a thousand monthly listeners, you know, that would be the day. That would be the day. But until then, and and as I work towards that and figure that out, you know, never know. You know, just, you don't know. Um, What I do know is that my previous album, Chameleon, did well. And it got, you know, once again, for me. Every album, I mean, I just started releasing albums in 2020 on Spotify. And every album since then, first of all, my skills, my my penmanship, my ability to rap, has been getting better. What I've had to say has been getting richer, and it's always great to do that. But then beyond that, and if it wasn't the case, I wouldn't release it. You know, I really want to improve my craft, and so I build my fan base and the marketing, years and years, album after album, or mixtape after EP or whatever the case may be, right? And what's what's crazy to me is Chameleon did good. Chameleon was one of my better streamed things. Everything was in the 400s to low thousands. Chameleon did good on Spotify alone, not counting Apple Music, all the other services, where Spotify is always, they do best there. Apple Music is usually 60 to 70% of what Spotify is, and then everything else is 25% of what Spotify is, you know. So anyway, 2,500 streams is what Chameleon hit after about a month. Or so. And I was I was excited. I mean, you know, I was like, okay, last last time it was eight hundred streams. So the the you know, you take it from eight hundred streams from the previous project to twenty five hundred and chameleon's a much better album in general. So that's good. I have about six uh, at the time I had about thirteen hundred followers on Instagram, which I know not all of them are real genuine fans, and that's where most of my fan base is. Now I've got them following my backup page. I've got a lot of followers following my Twitter and TikTok and what else. But you know, for the most part that's that's where it matters, you know. That's where that's where it's at. So it all made sense. It was all pretty good. So fast forward, so chameleon was September twenty twenty one. And and um there's a reason why I'm explaining this. I'll get to it in a minute. Um and and I do want to thank everybody who has listened this far into the podcast because I know there's a, a lot of fiery discussion and debate. Um, and then, of course, I, I want to thank everybody who has supported me along the way, uh, whether in my music that I'm talking about right now or just through podcast listening or whatever else, and however else you decide to support me. It always means the world to me and it's what keeps me going sometimes, so I appreciate it. So anyway... Um, September 2021 was Chameleon. It had good success, so by the end of the year, I was pretty happy with it. Fast forward as I finished Dragon, which was a fucking process, but it was worth it. Uh, Fast forward to July 21st when I released Dragon 2022. Oh man, what a hell of a month. (laughs) I released that and then I moved into my new apartment in LA and then I started school Um, and got busy with that and and as I was writing and finishing The Bulk of Dragon and writing actually my next album that I'm working on now, I'm working on two, actually, three actually. But as I was doing that, um, I, <laughs> I was I was also directing a, a short film. That was a, an incredible experience and, and, and just a hell of a process. It's called A Way Out and it's on my YouTube channel and my Instagram. So go check that out. Psychic Productions is a YouTube channel. As you know, Psychic 34 is the Instagram. So yeah little little self promo there but it it's a it's a great film and the casting crew just did a phenomenal job and we really put all of our all of our energy and might into that production so um <clears throat> anyway the thing is that um i was prepping dragon i couldn't do as much promo as i was hoping right and this all pertains to spotify which by the way anchor is owned by spotify for those who don't know so fun fact um so i was really just figuring it out i was finishing it i was mixing and mastering i was doing everything i was building promos too but i couldn't i i can't always get the promos right You know, I have a template, I have a way of doing it for myself, and it works, and it gets the message across, but sometimes I can't hit as frequently or as interestingly as I want because of life, you know? Making promos, the final month, the month and a half, to even three months, the month before, the month during, and the month after, is a key period of promoting for the album's success in my opinion now obviously teasing beforehand and then reposting and reminding afterhand but because i get to production i go right into production on the next project so soon on multiple projects and start building promos and i i i have to really after about a month of the project being out i have to really unfortunately pull back and do little promos here and there do little shout outs or reminders that the albums out there share links but not as heavy but those three months are really heavy because I have the release date locked in. I usually have most of the graphics, the images, the videos built. And I'm just fucking going in. I'm trying to make it interesting. I'm trying to pull attention to it. And I'm trying to remind my fan base that it's coming out on this day. And this is where you can stream it. And I'm trying to remind or show new people and get them interested. And it's a process. And it's really hard to decide, All right, what do I show, what shouldn't I show. You know what should I keep in there as a surprise or as a treat? It's difficult, and then to do it whether with lyrics without all of it, right? And I did it, and it was a good. I did a good job. I mean, it was high quality, and and for what it was, but it wasn't as many posts as I was hoping. It wasn't as systematic as some of my previous albums, Chameleon. I did a much, much more efficient job, and it showed. And so I was kind of nervous. I'm not going to lie, I was kind of nervous. And the night of release, right, which I always release on a weekend. I I will never, unless I have to, I'll never try to release in the middle of a weekday. That just doesn't seem beneficial. You know, people have to put, you know, they want to go listen to their other artists before they listen to me. I understand that 100%. So I'm trying to make it easy on their schedules in some regards. You get the weekend, the initial weekend to, I mean, it'll always be there. You can always go and listen, but you get that weekend to check it out immediately. You know, it makes sense to me and it it makes it feel more special. But anyway, so I did that. The initial streams were okay, right? And I'm just speaking on Spotify once again, but they were okay. I got, you know, in the first weekend I got 400 streams, which was good. Well, like no, no, well, I mean, the first night I got like twenty, which was a little disappointing. I was like, "Ah, okay, here's where the social media bit comes in. I'm sorry, this is a lot of build up for probably something that you guys don't care too much about, but it greatly impacts me and changed my trajectory um twenty six or so streams on the first night, I, right, whatever, maybe it was late, maybe I missed the mark, whatever, kind of sucked, but I'm like, okay. You know, to be fair, when Chameleon came out within the first 24 hours or so, it was crossing 100. It was at like 85 streams that night. (laughs) So to get like 20, 25 was a little disheartening, you know. It was the first time I realized, okay, maybe maybe I am sliding backwards. Because my goal is to always at least get 1 or 2% better than I did last time in a in a relatively decent time frame you know within the first 2 weeks and the first month and the first 3 months those benchmarks to be some percentages better than the previous project and hopefully the overall streams are just better you know and hopefully and more importantly the replayability and the engagement do people go back and play it do they add it to their playlists do they you know do they continue to play it after about 3 months even if it's just one or two songs every once in a while, what's, you know, what's the replayability factor? Cause that matters as much as the initial streams. In fact, it matters more. Um, so all of that was there. Uh, and it just didn't do great. And I'm like, okay, kind of sucks. You know, you spend a year and a half on a project, you work your fucking ass off and it just, if it doesn't reach people you're fucked i mean yeah you can keep promoting but like that initial weekend is in my opinion always the best and most exposure i'll get at the current level i'm at right and i did that and i'm like ah shit you know i'm like right, let me give it the weekend you know people might be busy they might be asleep whatever some more streams trickled in some more support and that was great but it just still didn't catch the way i thought it would it was slow, people. I think it wasn't. I think it, it was bad. It was like, for six days in, I was at a hundred streams, just over a hundred. So within the first week, I was breaking a hundred streams on Spotify. Apple Music was actually for the first time ever doing better. Um, that was at like two or three hundred streams still. Right, Chameleon by the by the first week, was. breaking 400 streams. So I was barely breaking 100 streams by this first week. So, you know, and, and I know 400 streams isn't jack shit, but that's, but 100 isn't either. And that's far worse for a better album after a year later. That's the problem, right? The trajectory is no longer going up. It's actually declining. Sometimes it's a fluke, sometimes I just didn't hit my numbers. It's not it doesn't mean the music's getting worse. It doesn't mean the fan base is dissipating. It just means wasn't didn't hit the money the way I thought I would, right? It happens. It's life. So I'm like, okay, well, it's still going to have some trickle in streams. I'm going to just promote it a little longer than I thought I'd have to. And I was kind of upset cuz I was also about to start school. So I'm like, fuck. Fast forward 2 weeks later, right? I had one more week at home. I was just chilling. As for two weeks later, I'm moving into my apartment for the first time. That was stressful as hell. I was actually recording songs for the Lyric Killers EP, which is out now. So everybody, if you're a fan of my music, if you're a fan of lyricism, definitely go check out Lyric Killers. It's its own separate group, so you wouldn't see it associated with me, but I am one-third of the Lyric Killers. It's a trio. It's myself, Impeccable7, or just Impeccable, and LA No Mercy. These two guys are some of the dopest, fiercest lyricists I've ever fucking rapped with, seen, and ha- <clears throat> had the privilege to work with. And they're great friends. So, definitely go check them out. Um, Lyric Killers. L-Y-R-I-K-I-L-L-E-R-S. Right? Lyricillers, all one word, capital L. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple Music, streaming everywhere. And the EP's out now, a six-track EP. We're working on the second album right now. Very exciting stuff down the pipeline for that. And that actually did surprisingly well with very, very minimal promo because there were some distribution problems and I was in the thick of life. But regardless of that, I hope you go check that out if you're a fan of my music or a fan of Lyricism because it's a dope-ass EP. But um, we were making that at that time when I moved into the apartment. And it was nuts. (laughs) We were sending verses back and forth recording that. I was moving in to this new apartment, uh, thank God, my uh, my friend, and, and, and who's my roommate, and one of my good friends, thank God I, I knew him beforehand, and I, God, that would have been so much more stressful if I didn't know anyone, so at least there's that, so I was getting acclimated all that, and then I look at my phone, right, because I, I try to put it away, when an album comes out, I'll check it out, obviously, the night of, I'll check it out a couple days later, I'll say my thanks. I'll keep promoting, but I won't look at, like, the Spotify artist thing for a minute. I'll try not to. I don't want to get sucked up in that. It's about making the music because it helps me, and it's about making music because it helps other people, and just because it's not getting the same numbers on Spotify doesn't mean there isn't other platforms I can't live monitor where it isn't getting played. It doesn't mean that people aren't hearing it, and it doesn't mean really anything other than I just need to market better. That's it. It doesn't doesn't affect the quality of the music, but it gets to my head. And that's something social media does to people. I'm sorry I'm going off on tangents here where I'm not, but I am looping. It is all interconnected, as everything I do is, right? Um, Social media has that effect on us because it allows us to see the immediate. And while that's an incredible tool that could be used for great, great uh, purpose, it also creates this side effect of we need immediate, actionable results. Now, refresh, refresh. I want to see it now. I want to see it live, right? That whole mentality. And even if you're not like that, do not be mistaken if you were in my position, you would be suffering with this too. There every artist, everyone who does who first of all, anyone who creates something original. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter how good it is, doesn't matter if it's your type of thing that you like or not. You need to respect them at the base level, that they created something of their own. They took their time out of what they were probably, you know, what's more stable, because doing something like this isn't financially stable, not in the beginning. So they took time to do that because they loved it, because it helped them, or because they wanted to do it for whomever. They took the time to do it. They applied themselves to it, the countless hours, the reworking, the tweaking, And then the hardest part and the most brave part that any artist does is publishes their work. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. It's something that is personal to them because they fucking made it from scratch. They're not clocking it. I mean, they might be, but they're not clocking into a nine to five and showing you a report from the company. You know, that's not their personal. I mean, they might have worked on that. Good for them. But that, you know what I mean? But if you make something from scratch... Whether it's a song, a painting, a, a film, a, a podcast show, or whatever. You know what I mean? It's very difficult. It's very difficult to make it at all, to physically create it and spend the time and perfect it and make it worthwhile, then to market it. And it's a whole level. And I've talked about this before in previous podcasts about making music. It's a whole nother level of getting. To the mentality to release it. To publish it. It's difficult. So, even if you don't like it, even if it's not your favorite thing, do, do me one solid. If you don't like it, if it's not your favorite thing, just don't engage with it. Don't listen to it. Don't share it. Don't play it. Whatever. Don't watch it. Doesn't matter. You know? Um, you know? Because there's other people who like it, and there's no... re it, The artist knows that they're usually, sometimes they need to be checked, but most artists know they're not the greatest thing of all time. They have their doubts. The process of getting to the point of releasing, trust me, they went through more doubts. They went through more edits. They thought of things more than you did. (laughs) Trust me. You listening to an album for the first time, if you listen to an album the first time and you find something wrong with it or you don't like it, that's Okay. I don't mind that. In fact, it's helpful for me, but let me be very clear. Usually I probably know what's wrong with it. There's just that fine line of, if I went back and fixed it, it delays everything and, or can make something worse because the variables are at play, I do one versus one take. So it makes it harder. Right. Um, sometimes I do a whole song. That's a one take, which is difficult, you know, and it's not, I'm not doing it just to say I do it. I do it because it's easier and i get it down pretty much perfectly you know there are going to be errors there are going to be things that aren't perfect and that's you know where i improve in the next project that's the point you know i i it's like a video game i i make sure the game breaking bugs and glitches and crashes are out and ironed out and cut out and then i do some polishing and fine tuning on the small stuff but i can't catch everything And I still am learning as I go. So, for the best of what I have and can do, is what you get when you listen to my stuff. And it doesn't mean that it's a perfect project, and it doesn't mean I don't have room for improvement. I absolutely do. But just know that when people comment or they say stuff, I know (laughs) you're not enlightening or teaching me anything new. I'm aware of it. I just couldn't get it done. It just it, it gets to a point where it's more feasible to just release it and accept what it is, and it's not that it's bad it's always it's always of a higher quality, even if not everything's perfect and I just need people to understand and respect the fact that that is the complexity going into when someone publishes something right When I released Dragon, where people are hearing it for the first time, I heard it a hundred times to that point <laughs> You know, so it's like that, right? And this is something that people who create stuff are aware of. So when you're on Spotify for artists, more for example, which is the app that artists use to track their stats, right? And, it, and it's better than most of these artist apps because it live tracks and gives you more analytics. It's awesome. I wish Apple Music would catch up on that. So you could watch as people are, you could see how many people are listening live. You could see how many streams you have, listeners, followers, all that, right? And it's great. So, anyway, I'm getting off track, but I do think Spotify is an incredible social media tool that people aren't realizing. It's actually more powerful than uh, most social media platforms out there um you know, so when I was moving into my apartment, right this is the first week of August, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, last week of August or so i I look at my Spotify for artists for the first time in three weeks, you know since the project came out. I just didn't want to look at it it was, it was just it threw me off. It actually made me upset, and I was mad that I was upset that, at that I was like, "Why am I being such a bitch about this?" Yeah, it hurts, but whatever. I'll be okay. And so I just had to put it away, focus on my family, focus on my on my life. So I, I reopen it and I look at it, and I dropped my phone out of surprise. I I, I shit you not. I'm luckily there's carpet underneath me, but I opened it and I just kind of stood there and just dro- dropped my phone. Everything went numb. I was like, "Huh, <laughs> I." I, it, was, it was, it's one of the best days of 2022. <laughs> it changed everything. And it sure as fuck made those first two weeks of m- moving in and starting school worth it. It gave me a confidence boost that I didn't think I could possibly have in this industry. I'm so used to being told it ain't quite there, it ain't good enough, and being reinforced by the stream count. I'm not used to having a massive fucking win. Don't get me wrong, I'm still proud of what I do and I still know I'm doing good, but um but it, you know, I'm I'm not used to getting great energy and happiness after I release something. Um I get the great joy of when I'm creating it, writing and recording, but not releasing, not watching the aftermath. I get some great comments and the people who are touched or moved by it really mean the world to my to me. Um, it hit 30,000 stre- or 28,000 streams. 22 minutes to get to that point, and I apologize, but that's why Spotify is like social media. It was random. I did promos, sure, but this is a month and a half after. I was doing very minimal promos, but it didn't work. You know? It was wild. I. Until this day, and, and this is actually going to pose a problem down the line, I don't know why. I, I don't know what caused it. It's, it was a viral-ish moment. For me, it was viral, right? Mind you, I was expecting, at best, this is what I, this is what I said, I said, at best, if I could double, if I could go 200, 200%, yeah, if I could go 200% to what Chameleon was, 5,000 streams. If I could get 5,000 streams on Dragon, I'm happy. I was at, so I was at like 20,000 maybe that day. I was like, holy shit, this is incredible. And for the next week and a half, eight to ten days really, and then maybe a few extra days, I saw it go up and up and up. There was one night where I was looking, I was looking at it daily at this point, I was, I was blown away. I was looking at the statistics, I was trying to figure out who's listening. It was, it was, I mean... My general fan base is finally listening, so that was good. That kicked in. I'm like, holy shit, they finally got around to it. That's incredible because I thought their attention span fizzled out after the first week. It did not. They came back and they re-listened to some of them a month and a half later, which really gives me a great sigh of relief in general for the future, right? It means I'm finally hitting those marks I needed to for replayability and for intrigue. People aren't just like, okay, I'll go listen to it, and then they don't. They know they're getting an experience of quality. And if they like my stuff or they appreciate it at the very least, they will eventually listen to it at least one time through. And that means the world to me. But beyond that, I was getting streams from... I mean, these numbers are not from my fan base. I would say about 10%, not even by the end of it, but um, I'd say 1% to 5%, I guess, were my direct fan base who was looking forward to the album. The other 95% or so... Random. Kind of like TikTok or Reels. Just random, viral, hashtag-like explosion, right? Was, uh, oh, this video got a 100,000 views out of nowhere. Whoa. It was like that. But the, the difference is, it's not a post that people are liking. It's literally an album I spent a year and a half on, and then I get paid for, for the streams. Not a lot. Not a lot. I'm not gonna... it What I'll get paid from that doesn't doesn't even cover the cost of submitting it for distribution. Just so you know. <laughs> it's a net loss still. I don't care. What I care about is that I'm building a fan base. Um, so that's the thing. It was a viral thing. And, and that's when it clicked to me that Spotify is a social media platform, the way it functions. But beyond that, which is an incredible thing to understand. Once you understand that, and if you're an artist on Spotify, you... It's still very difficult to figure out how that works, but it's something to keep in mind. The randomness, the viral aspect of such, right? Oh, it can just randomly blow up. That's awesome. That adds a layer of potential, right? It's algorithmic too. It's very, very algorithmic. Editor, editorial playlist, other playlists, if people add you to a playlist, if they, there are Things, like in Instagram, like in TikTok, where if the user engages in your profile or in your music in a certain way, not just listening to it, obviously that does something, but saving it, favoriting it, um, adding it to a playlist, listening to it repeatedly in your playlist. Because what that tells Spotify and their algorithm is, oh, okay, so this amount of people actually like it enough to go back and continue listening. All right, so let's open up the uh, floodgates a little more. Yeah, small, three percent. Okay, all right. See, and if a big swath of people at once catch on and do the same thing for just a day, four hundred, five hundred people or so, that opens it up more. And they'll send it to people, and that so it causes a snowball effect. Now, mind you, it doesn't last very long. I thought it was over then. I th- when I saw twenty, I, it was at twenty thousand streams. When I saw twenty thousand, I'm like. Okay, well this <laughs> I was blown away. I'm like, alright, I'm happy. I'm good. This is incredible. And I thought that was gonna be it. I thought, okay, that obviously this happened on this happened last week, and then the couple days and then the last little spike, which was only like two hundred streams or so, still better than the entire first week combined. Uh, that was well no, that was two days ago. So it's over. It's kinda dissipating then a few more small spikes and then the singular largest spike as I was live watching it happened and it's when I went to bed and that's when I started to figure out where these streams are coming from I was going to bed and I'm a night owl I was actually writing my next album and I was falling asleep in bed and this is say this is like uh it's got to be late August now right this is like August 28th or something like that and I'm in bed, I'm about to go to bed, and about to sleep, I mean. And I've, I gave it one more glance. I'm like, okay, you know, we got 25 people listening to it live, which is usually more than I could ever see listening live. Like every once in a while I'll see 510, which is, it's incredible. It's incredible to go in there and see people listening to you live in that moment. You're like, wow, that's just, it's humbling. So I'm like, okay, that's great. I'm going to leave it on that, you know, wrote, wrote a song, wrote an idea down, whatever. And I went to bed. Woke up the next day, and I saw that within that night, about an hour and a half after I fell asleep, it spiked again, and it stayed spiked, and I got 14,000 more streams overnight. And then for the and then it almost completely dissipated, you know, 25 or so streams a day, which is still really good for me. So on and so forth for the rest of the month. Even through to the first, in the first week of September. And then there's one more spike when I was playing Rainbow with my buddy. I looked down at my phone just to see where it was at. And I, I saw it, and it was literally 10 people are watching it or listening 15, 25, 30. I'm like, okay. And then it spiked up to 400 people listening, and then 1,000, and then 1,100. So it got up to 1,100 people listening live for like 10 minutes which in theory is probably two to three songs for each of those people. And then, so that's another 3,000 streams. And that's where I'm at now, so I'm at about 40,000 streams on Spotify. All because of one, essentially one month, where it went from about 800 to 1,000 to 40,000 in one month. Random. I didn't do much. I kept promoting it. I kept doing posts, but I didn't do that. I didn't pay for that. There's no bots. It's nothing like that. It just happened. I'm very fortunate for that. And, I'm, and, I, and I know that is a very long story into how that worked. But, I, but I, I wanted to say it in that way, even though I went off on a tangent. I wanted to mention it in that way because I don't think people fully realize it's a social media platform. And I'm hoping that me explaining it like that from the perspective of an artist really illustrates how much it really is. Because you're consuming a media, music, or podcast, but you're, you know, uh, some listening form of media. And the, the social elements that are inherent in the philosophy of Spotify persist through the entire platform. Following artists. Favoriting Songs. Adding them to playlists. But here's the thing. The whole point about playlists are if you follow friends, other users on there, which is a big proponent as well. Proponent? Component? Whatever. Big component of it. You also see their playlists. If they, you know, if they want to publicly show those, of course you have private playlists. And they could share them easily on any platform. You could do the same on Apple Music. Don't be mistaken. Apple Music is has uh, some social features like that, but of course it's native to Apple devices, um, and it's not about the and it doesn't it doesn't have that viral factor. I kid you not. There is no, at least not right now. There's no way you could randomly blow up on Apple Music. Spotify, within their algorithm, has that factor. It's it's you know what it's like. It's like TikTok. Spotify is like TikTok, Apple Music is like Facebook. Uh, don't be mistaken, Facebook is not bad. In, fa- in fact, Facebook pays quite a good amount if you get anyone to listen in their library of music, which is wild. But Facebook is very direct to consumer. When I post something on Facebook, it goes directly to my fans. Instagram is kind of the same way, but Instagram has a little more, you know, a viral factor as well, so I can't quite compare it. Apple Music's the same way. When I post something on Apple Music, I'm not getting... 90% of people who listen to me on Apple Music are people, are fans. People I directly am aware that are listening on Apple Music. Partially because of the platform itself, the size of it, right? But also just because of the way it's structured. Spotify? I have no fucking idea. I know a lot of my fans are on Spotify, so there's that, but that's where the bulk of them are. So there's that, but like that's... That's not telling me much when I get 40,000 streams from different countries. Countries that have never listened to me before. So that's the point. It's very randomized and v- lots of viral components to it. And that's why I like Spotify. Yeah, they don't pay jack shit and they have some problems with stuff. And metric, getting a metric and a measure of consistency is very difficult. But I will say one thing the way you keep getting continuous streams regardless of your marketing and promo plan that isn't just going viral, which does help, right? Which I didn't, by the way. Uh, It's not like a TikTok song going viral. That's not that breaks a million streams or whatever. That's not that. It's a one month of a random spurt of engagement. People stuck and listened through a bulk of the album. Um... So it's a testament of the quality of the music because they, because something, somehow the algorithm pushed it to them and it will probably, it probably does that quite a bit actually. It probably pushes new, because Spotify is trying to get people to stay in their platform for as long as possible. So pushing new artists is a way of doing so. Right, because those new artists will create more content for the platform and therefore more diversity of a population who may not listen to the mainstream artists will come by and listen to the underground people. It's a big, big uh, you know, portion of the music industry. It always has been. Underground fuels engagement, surprisingly enough. Um and new engagement and diversity in a platform. So With that in mind, they've probably pushed my album before, and it just because the quality of the album, it might catch a little bit, but not a lot. But because my latest album is head and shoulders above anything I've done before, and I designed it with the intent of if someone crosses it, they're at least engaged for the first couple tracks, and hopefully after that point they want to stick with it. Yeah, I can never guarantee that, but I aim for it. I feel like that's a contributing factor. So anyway, that's what that is. Spotify is a social media platform, as is YouTube, as is Twitch, as is anything with a social component that is a key factor to it, not just like, oh, you can chat with people. That's not what I mean. I mean, it's designed to socialize and have expanded reach upon your inner circle. Right, I said earlier video games are social media. They can be. They're not inherently one. Right, If you play a single player game, they're not. But if you play something like Call of Duty or Rainbow, it, it, it very much is. It's just dependent on the game. Right, Consoles and the hardware support socializing. But it's not... I mean, yeah, you can make friends or you can add them to parties or you can chat with them or see their online status. Right, that's more of a just keeping engaged, keeping connected with friends. That's, I mean, you you gotta have that, but it just depends on the game itself, on the likelihood of finding a new friend, and it really that has to do with how much you put out, and that's the same with social media. What you put out is what you get, in terms of the consistency or the content or what you're doing. How much are you pushing? When are you pushing it? How hard are you pushing it? Right, I I get tired of social media gurus, right, who say, "Okay, you got to do these three steps and these helping." And it might. I'm not saying it doesn't. In fact, it very well could. But here is my tip, word to the wise, and it's a more reasonable one, because it's not a certain step you have to follow. Consistency. That is absolute key. I, if anyone ever, when I'm consulting, when people are asking me how to grow and I'm not the biggest social media platform ever. I'm not nearly as big as most. Um, yeah, there, there are people who are just popular in high school who have a bigger following than me, but their following is just friends. There's just more people who are following them. That doesn't actually mean those people are engaging with content that they produce because they may not be doing that in the first place. The people who follow me, a lot of them are engaging outside of the platform that they're following me on, and they're engaging in things that take time out of their day. That is so much fucking harder than you realize. To get someone to go press a link and watch a seven-minute video, to get them to go and listen to a twenty-minute album. Now I make sure it's streamlined, and I make sure I don't put any pressure on them. I don't mind if they don't listen to it immediately. If they listen to it in six months, they listen to it. That's what matters. I want them to hear what I have to say if I think they'll like it, you know. That's why I do it. It's not because I need those streams. It helps. But the streams are just a metric of who is paying attention and how do I gear my marketing for the future. That's all it is, you know. Um, So that's, that's how I think of it. It's so hard to get people to go and consume content outside of the platform they're in especially with people's busy lives or general interests and the opportunity cost factor of everybody's daily schedule sometimes people don't have the energy to go to listen to something new they just want to go and listen to their favorite album help them through the day all right so they're not going to go listen to your album it's just not going to happen Sometimes they just want to watch their favorite YouTuber play video games. They don't want to watch your seven-minute short film. Even if their favorite YouTuber is an hour-long video, it's someone they already like. Now, that's not to say that you don't have people who treat your platform like that. I, I very well do have projects or songs or albums that are in people's top playlists for five of you listening to this podcast, I am your top podcaster of the year, which is phenomenal. Thank you. I don't know, man, I don't listen to many podcasts, so I don't know. It doesn't tell me who you guys also listen to, so I don't know if I'm the only person or if, you know, <laughs> or if I'm up against real competition here, but but I appreciate it, right? So that's what really matters, the engagement outside of the social media platform, not just the followers, not just the numbers. And these are engagement metrics that, within those platforms, they can't quite measure properly. They can't measure. They they can, but it's not very efficient. They can't measure how many times people click the link, the superlink in my bio where people go outside the app to check out my content. Instagram can't measure that. The app that I use, the superlink can. That's what I have to look at sometimes, but Instagram cannot. So it's driving your audience, your fan base, your followers towards whatever you're trying to produce if you're in my field. If you're not, then you're just having fun. You're either a consumer or you're just keeping up with friends. And that's perfectly fine. That's the majority of people who use social media. And that's what I love about social media. It is a way to keep up with friends. It's a way to meet new people. And it's a way to promote your business or your brand or something that you are creating. You don't have to have a billboard. You can But you don't have to. You don't have to have an ad spot on the radio or television anymore. But in its own regard, with its own complexity, and the fact that it's so goddamn random, you do have to engage people on a platform where they're already being engaged 24-7. And that constant stimuli is not always good for people. I think it's healthy to always take a break from the social media. It's addictive. We doom scroll till our fingers hurt, right? Oh well, the next post, we become zombies in a state of trance. I don't even know if we're fully processing what we see anymore or listening closely, which makes me wonder if all this marketing promo is really worth it. And then I go back and I remember that I am a fan of hip hop, and when I am scrolling through my page and I and I hear a few seconds of something that sounds good all of a sudden, I'm tuned in. And if I really like it, I'll go out the app and and check out their album. And I have to remind myself I'm in that very position because even when I check out their album, that's it. I'm going back to listening to my favorite artists. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll stick with it. But consistency. The thing that a lot of... Artists, specifically rappers, don't do. I'm sorry, this is kind of becoming a rap how to rap, how to market your rap section. It's primarily about social media and how technology influences that. But I talked about that more so in the first half of this. Um, but it really is. I mean, I see so many artists who post stuff, really dope stuff. One or two videos that are snippets of the song or whatever, or a music video. It's awesome. And they got like six posts. They got a same amount of followers as me, maybe more, maybe less and they're not following anybody, and okay, fine. I mean, I feel like everybody does that to look like they're professional. Um, I don't care. I really don't care that much. I'm not... the My main Instagram that I use to market my stuff is also the main Instagram I use. It's I follow people. Yeah, I gotta go through and clean it out every once in a while. It's getting up there in the numbers, but still. Unless I become big-time verified professional... Then I'll clean it out for real, but until then, it's my main Insta. <laughs> I, I That's the one I use, so I'm not, I mean, I've got backup ones, but that's it. Like, I don't get that. Uh, I don't think people really care that much, and even if they do, then uh, I'm not their type of person in the first place. And all these guys are doing this stuff, but they've got like six singles and maybe an EP. They don't even have an album out yet. And uh, maybe call me old-fashioned, I am 22, though, so, I mean, that doesn't take you very far, but call me old-fashioned, but I think putting out an album is more important than a handful of singles. People don't just go and re-listen to singles as as much as people may think. Singles have better exposure, better chance of going viral, and I'm not lying when I say a good single could definitely be in rotation, right? Saved to a playlist. Or favorited. Plenty of people do that. I get it. Especially if they want to spice it up. But if people really like you as an artist, they'll, they'll cherry pick the songs out of an album. Notice that when fans of bigger artists ask when the new music is coming, either they ask when's new music coming if it's really been that long. That's one thing. But but beyond that, that's just desperation at that point. That's like, we'll take a fucking single. But in in all honesty, people don't ask, when's the single dropping? They ask, when's the album dropping? Why do you think they ask that? Right? It's because they don't want one song and then have to wait for fucking forever. This whole method of just dropping singles for the rest of your career is boring. I don't like it. I get it. One or two singles before the album or before the EP or one single just to hold people over. That's fine. I, I, I've i released singles. I get it. But I don't know. Every they they you know, artists spend their whole time putting all their energy perfecting this one song, getting the marketing, the music, all that down, and it goes viral, it blows up, good for them. They got a hundred thousand streams. Good on them. It's a dope single. That's it. That's their that's the quality of their catalogue. Everything else falls off. Other singles, projects, or there's nothing else there. So you listen to that, you're like, this is dope, I wanna hear more, and you can't. Too fucking bad, fuck off. What? <laughs> So yeah, they get 100,000 streams, good for them, but that's it. So unless they're willing to generate content, replicate that same thing, which I don't think they want to do because that gets monotonous from a creator standpoint, then it's boring. There's nothing else to do. Meanwhile, I create albums for a few purposes. One, because why not have more music with a bigger diversity? And it's more fun for me to make. And it allows me to have more time to perfect it all at once. Right? I might still have a single for that album. I usually do. But then that single's in the album, too. And guess what? If you like that single and that album, and say that album's ten tracks, you might have two other songs that are similar. Better engagement. People listen longer. At least I think. I don't know. I've been told left and right, oh, singles are the way to go. Yeah, I don't want to just make singles. I won't make as good of music. So it's different for each artist. So that was a huge tangent on Spotify and being a rapper. But but social media is a big factor of our lives. And it actually directly impacts our chemistry and how we communicate and understand one another and keep in touch with one another. It does change our empathy. It also can directly damage the way we understand tone. Because in social media there's no tone. So when you get an argument with someone in the comments and you're typing back and forth, unless you go all caps, like your MF Doom, you're not gonna understand the tone of what someone's saying. That's why when you argue with someone in text, it you shouldn't probably continue that way, you should call them. Because they may not be arguing. <laughs> they might be a little upset, but it probably isn't as bad as it seemed. So communication is key and social media does encompass that. But if you can't see people's face or hear their voice and they can't see yours, there's a key component of body language that is lost in translation And that body language helps our brain subconsciously understand what they may be going through on an emotive level. Even if you're not as good at reading body language like myself, it still helps greatly. It also means people have to stay more engaged in the moment otherwise because then they could just put their phone down right so there are still components to social media that does damage our overall experience socially but i do think as a whole it allows us as a society to communicate with people who we couldn't otherwise it allows us to keep in touch with friends it allows us to create and promote content or or businesses or ideas that wouldn't be able to be shared or profitable in any capacity um And while it has, uh, effects of lethargy, you know, lack of critical thinking sometimes, or, you know, kind of doom scrolling numbness, those are all habitual things that you can curb, right? By, by enforcing different habits or policies to how you treat your social media consumption, which I think is what makes it such a powerful tool while risky. Stay tuned. Alright. Welcome back, ladies and gents. Apologies for that long-winded Spotify breakdown. I really didn't plan on going that in depth with it, but that's how this works, right? I'm just going as I as I go. It's improv, it's freestyle, however you want to call it. So you know, I appreciate you all sticking by. Hopefully it makes sense. Hopefully it's interesting. Um, For my rapper friends and fans, um, you might have actually gained some insight. And for those who, hopefully people who don't, I mean, on either side, you learn something from the perspective of an underground rapper trying to navigate Spotify. Spotify is the most popular streaming service in the world. Um, Music streaming service, but I think it's also up there with just general streaming services. Because of the social aspect. The reason why Netflix is about to go in the shitter is because it's actually disabling some of its social uh, aspects, right? The whole rule that you can't password share. Now, what the fuck? Netflix, you've been allowing that for a decade now. Now you're going to hammer down on that when people are already being uninterested in your hallmark-level quality original content with a few standouts every three months? Come on. The social aspect allows things to thrive outside of the produced original content, right? It's why multiplayer games are always so highly coveted in video game developer space and publisher space. The reason why they design multiplayer games the way they do is because, in theory, they say, well, if a single-player game is good, great, but if it doesn't work out, then we're fucked. But a multiplayer game... If it works, even better. Obviously, they make more money from it. But beyond that, even if it's not great at launch, you could still build a community. They could still keep playing it, still support it. Updates can eventually come down the pipeline. And if there's a modding component to it, that extends its lifetime tenfold. Look at Gary's mod. For fuck's sake. (laughs) That game's been around longer than most people. (laughs) Not really. But you know what I mean? It's just, it's nuts. So the social component is very important to technology. And you see that a lot of things gear towards that. Things that maybe don't need it or don't seem to fully utilize it. right? But beyond that, we talk about something else that's been a big, big, big factor in the changing landscape of how we consume technology and how we consume general products, brands. And it's that. It's IP, right? Intellectual property. Um, It's becoming more valuable. It's becoming as valuable as almost anything else, right? Obviously, water, food, shelter, natural resources that allow us to build cities and homes still are a great commodity. but, um, But don't be mistaken... If a company has an IP, they have the license to print money. That's the whole concept. And it depends on the IP. But if you own Lord of the Rings franchise, guess what? You're always going to be making money. Always. Right? Residuals, syndication, um, whatever. But from podcasts, from video games, from films, from television, from books, from everything... has a consistent stream of income of monetary value and the larger the brand the more that brand reaches other media formats the better marvel if you own marvel you're good now the thing that people don't realize and here's something with acquisitions from video games to movies to other things right companies acquiring other companies that goes for other industries too, not just IP on the side of um, pop culture, but on technology for certain algorithms or AI or to kill the competition or whatever. Right. That's also a big factor on how technology landscape changes. Right. Microsoft acquired or invested, I guess they didn't fully Acquire the company, but they invested billions of dollars and did the, what, what's it called? The, the chat GPT, whatever company, open AI. They didn't, they're not trying to buy that specific thing. I think that wouldn't look good on their business portfolio side. What they're trying to do for their consumers, they, you know, after the whole Microsoft suite thing, you really think they would create something that would actually stop people from writing in Microsoft word? No. <laughs> That doesn't make a lot of sense. That that program gets them more money annually than almost anything else. No, 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 it's not that. But what is interesting about all of this is that they are buying, they are investing in it so they can have a stake or research into the AI because the AI is goddamn just. It's phenomenal, but it's not actually like oh, all good phenomenal. It's a little scary. You know, I told you earlier I'm trying to stay away from the negativity, but fuck, it's hard when it comes down to this. Because this AI can write things from the perspective of a human in terms of tone. By any generated subject, it's not pulling direct things from previous written material. It's just utilizing its advanced, um, I don't even know, brain, algorithm, whatever. It's it's access to the World Wide Web. It's using all of that to better generate something with accuracy and with warm, emotional human tone. Now, to be fair, it's not perfect, but the problem is that this is new. This is out the gate, and it cannot be detected by plagiarism things at schools. It cannot because it's not plagiarizing anything. That's what's scary, Right? Previous things like this before, what it used to do is it used to take bits and pieces and chunks and a few original things and just kind of mash, mix, chop it together, and make it its own. That's also pretty solid, but it's still taking from previously written things from people. This time around, it's not doing that. It's just completely writing stuff at random, procedurally generated. And it's not, but, and and, you know, logically you might ask, how the fuck does it know? Well, because it's using the internet. And the internet is all of humanity's knowledge. Essentially. Almost all. I mean, not every bit of that, but, but a lot of it, right? And it's accessing that. I, I don't know how. It still has to be maintained by people. It still has to be monitored. There's probably filters. Obviously, it's not... Because it has to stay accurate. Its entire purpose is to write accurate essays. So it has to tap into sources that are valid or legitimate, right? It can't be tapping into conspiracy theories. <laughs> I, unless, of course, you're writing about conspiracy theories. But then you're, it's taking from the studies of them, not from actual theories. So I, I don't fully understand it. Um, but it's incredible from what I've seen other people use it online. I haven't used it. I don't know if I will. I might play around with it, but I'm not too interested in it. In that regard, and personally using it. I, per- I love writing, so, you know, even if I don't love doing an essay, something about letting an AI type something for me feels weird because it's not my thought. Also, just so people know, if you're in school, if you consistently, if you don't consistently use it, from the start, being with your teacher or professor of the semester, to the end, you're fucking yourself over. Notice that. there's still patterns. They're, they're not stupid they're teaching for a reason. They're not an idiot. So understand that. If you're in an English class, especially at a college level, I wouldn't do that. It just seems too risky. They're obviously going to make a countermeasure where they can scan for that eventually. But even if they don't, just know if you don't start with using that AI program and you write two or three or four essays in the semester, say it's a big heavy essay writing uh, course, right? And your first three or four essays are your writing and you know, you might get good marks, A or B or whatever, know that if you switch to that fucking AI, they're going (laughs) to notice. Because all of a sudden, it's not your writing style. Everybody has a unique way of wording, writing, and thinking. It's your internal monologue voice spitting out what you're writing. No one else can have that voice except you. So, if you make that switch, just know... That it actually may not be better. Maybe it'll be more accurate, but something might feel off if that professor has gotten used to the cadence and flow of how you write. It's something that always baffles me that people don't realize. It's patterns. If a professor has to read your essays for the entire semester or a year or longer, trust me, they'll understand how you write and how you think more than you might notice. Unless they really don't care and they're not paying attention, they're just marking it for... Did he say this? Did he say that? Good. Moving on. Alright, fine. But usually they're actually reading them. So, understand that. I've seen some of what it's produced. It's incredible, but it's still very... It's smart. (laughs) And trust me. You're not as smart as that. The AI is smarter than you. Unless you're a well-regarded journalist, or you are a a scholar, or a research person, or someone who reads peer-reviewed articles on the daily goes through white page, all that stuff. <laughs> Unless you're doing that, trust me, the professor will realize that you are getting assistance elsewhere. Depends on if they'll do anything about it, but they'll know. It's weird. I mean, when you see some of the stuff it produces, it's really well-written, and it's really, you know, it's damn good, but it's like, okay. But, like, especially in high school... You know, you see some kid say, yeah, that was lit, no cap. And then they write something that has the scholarly presence of an academic professor who's been in the field for 30 fucking years. No, obviously that seems off, right? So there are the ways you apply technology. Once again, back to that same thing. The way I applied the usage of Spotify in my own personal life, Right? Through through using the Spotify Artist App by pushing stuff on Spotify. I've met rappers who don't publish music on the streaming services because they're like, I'm not trying to take people's money. I'm like, okay, then you're a fucking idiot. You're not taking anybody's money. (laughs) stupid are you? They're paying to listen to you. You're not taking their money. Well, I mean, maybe you are, but you're not like taking it with no consent. If someone is paying Spotify premium, guess what? They ain't buying it for you, jackass. They're buying it for all the artists they want to listen to. And you might be lucky enough to be a part of that. (laughs) I've heard more people say that than I ever thought I would. I'm like, are you fucking stupid? I'm like, well, it's just not right. I'm like, it's not wrong either. You don't have to be in it for the money. In fact, you shouldn't be in it for the money because you're not going to make money in the beginning. That's not why I'm saying you do it on put it on streaming. You put it on streaming so more people can listen. Not everybody has access to go to SoundCloud or YouTube. Why, you might ask, even though it's free? Because sometimes there's restrictions in different countries. And even if there isn't um, internet and cellular usage, and to be able to download songs from YouTube and or from... SoundCloud, guess what? You still need a premium account, therefore they're paying. And then all of a sudden, you're not getting paid, so they're actually just paying a company. <laughs> so backwards. Anyway, but it's about the application. I use Spotify for the sake of reaching out for more people because more people use Spotify. It's logical, right? It it lines up. Um. So the same can go with application to any kind of technology. And technology is very important to understand. It aids us in bettering our lives. I don't care who you are. If you don't think FaceTime is helpful, then you haven't been paying attention. FaceTime helps so many people. You know how I was saying earlier, without having tone or text or that ability to communicate, because when you're doing it virtually, just through text, just through words, while it's great very convenient. It's fast. It's useful. And if you text someone enough, you start to learn their tones and text, and that's another factor of it. But that takes years of doing that. So even then, FaceTime is a great alternative. It's still not the same as being in person. Don't get it twisted. Being in person is always more enjoyable. But, I mean, it depends on the person you're with. But but FaceTime, if I didn't have FaceTime, I, I'd still try my damnedest to do this long-distance relationship that I've been doing for three and a half years now. But, um, fuck, would it be so much harder. The difference in doing a voice call with my girlfriend as opposed to FaceTime, and really, you know, if we're busy, if we're driving, right, we'll do voice calls if we only have a minute. Voice calls are still great, don't get me wrong. But, man, FaceTime is infinitely better. To see her face, to see how she's expressing herself, to talk to her, you know like we're talking, talking through a window or something, it's, it's great. I I think that's, so it's the application of such. And I I think, and and I want to talk about now social media technology as a whole, but I want to talk about more specifically parents. Here we go. I'm not a parent, so I'm not speaking from the perspective of parenting children. Don't ever get that mistaken. I'm not telling you how to raise your children. I don't know. I hope that you're doing the best that you see fit for them because that's all you can do as a parent, okay? So I'm not saying how to, how to raise your kids, how to, but I am saying something about how parents and people negatively react to social media and children using it and teens because that has been the ongoing debate, right? What's too much, what's too little? It goes for everybody. Everybody could be addicted, but people get more worried when kids are involved. Naturally so, right? It, it directly changes their mental development process. But the studies haven't been done long enough to know for sure. We just haven't had enough time. Social media hasn't, the way we see it with TikTok, Instagram, those kinds of things, hasn't been around long enough to really know the full ramifications of such. Right? Right? We're talking another 20 years until we fully get an understanding of how directly social media affects the cognitive process of a young developing mind, right? But I will say this much. From personal experience or from seeing it, whether from what I experience literally with myself or with my peers, right? And from, you know, reading what I can on the matter of the research and the behavioral, it's a pattern. It's a historic pattern, specifically in America, but in other countries and around the world. People get scared of new. New things scare people. That's okay. That happens, right? Oh my God, it's new. We don't understand it. When we don't understand something, we're afraid of it. Unfortunately, when we don't know how to temper those fears and stuff, we take a reverse angle. We decide to destroy it instead of learn to understand it. Now, you might be thinking, okay, well, no one's destroying social media. Not destroying it, but trying to limit it. The problem is that type of mentality doesn't just persist in the realm of technology, of inanimate objects. It also persists in the realm of civil rights and human rights, right? That's why we have racism. That's why we have xenophobia, homophobia, right? Sexism, all these other things. It's a big component. Somebody who doesn't understand that was taught not to agree, believe, or see eye to eye, and willfully, cognitively decides to go against it. It's a very damaging, harmful social behavior. It's personified through a loudspeaker on social media as well, because social media allows anonymity. It is much harder to talk shit to somebody's face for a few reasons. One, because you see them. You hear them, you understand, you subconsciously empathize with them a little more. You realize they are just a human when you're standing face to face with them. You still might not agree with them. You still might hate their guts, but you might be cordial enough to not let that be known to their face. Even if you aren't and you're still a dickhead, you also run the risk of getting your teeth kicked in. That's another thing. That's a thing that people don't remember (laughs) or realize. We are animals right? And we do have fight, flight, or freeze responses. And a lot of people choose fight, even if they're not violent people to begin with. You don't know what that could do when you piss somebody off, right? Well, hopefully it's not fighting, but it can be. And I do think a little bit of that fear of this person could punch the shit out of me if I say the wrong thing, just that floating in the back of your mind, also allows us to be a little more cordial even if just a little, right? So these things are lost when you're on social media because you're miles away. Your, your true identity could be anonymous. Maybe it's not. Maybe you're an idiot, but usually it is. Right? Hidden behind a username. It's not well hidden, but it's not immediately present. And that, that can breed the idea of comfort and safety in being a spiteful fucking person. Right. So that's some of the toxicity we could see on social media. But in the way it affects kids' brains or teenagers or young adults like me. And I don't know what the age cutoffs is for young adults. I know young adult I I think is between eighteen and twenty. Right? You're legally an adult at eighteen, but you're still really young. But I, I, I venture to say, and I still stand by this, you're a young adult until you're over the age of 25. And for some people, 26, 27. That's how I see it. Because um, that's when your brain stops growing. You still learn new things, don't Don't be mistaken, but that's when it literally in size and in c- formatting, it's it's done expanding for the most part. So, I think that's a more fair. Actually, I, I, you know, I think that's when certain things like going into the military and owning a firearm, you know, stuff that could end your life or end the life of other people. I think you have to be 25 and older to decide that. I also think, and people are going to hate me for this one. I think the drinking age should be twenty five and up because if you're twenty one and you're drinking a lot or even sooner it i mean you could still drink beforehand illegally, right It's not stopping you but um but I do think i that act we know as a fact drinking alcohol deteriorates the brain at an accelerated rate, and so while your brain is still developing and you're drinking a lot, not having one drink not even having a few drinks a week. I'm talking really getting into it, which a lot of people do in their 20s because they think they can, because it's fun, and because they're stressed (laughs) with the responsibilities of life. It's really, really bad for your cognitive health down the line, and it can cause an addiction. Right? You could become an alcoholic, which is really, really, really damaging. So, yeah, not a big fan of drinking being legal at 21. I'm 22. I can drink legally. I don't. Not often. Every once in a while I have a drink, but I I don't... First off, I just don't enjoy it. I don't like what I feel when I'm drunk. I prefer getting high. Which could also very well damage your brain, but it's been proven it's not as damaging as alcohol. So, anyway, um, it still can, though. Don't be mistaken. Um, And I'm just basing that on what we know with the science that we have. Your brain stops developing around 25 um, fully. So the damage won't be as severe. You can still damage your brain drinking at any point. You can still damage your brain doing anything too much, but it's less impactful because it's not still growing and developing and creating those pathways, right? You know, we call it formative years between the ages of six and 12 and 12 and 18, different types of formative years because new information is brought upon us. But that's because the brain is forming, formative forming, come on, right? That's part of it. You're also growing up and you're learning more about the world anyway. So social media is a drug. 100 friggin percent. And a lot of us are slightly addicted to it. The severity of addiction depends on your behaviors. I believe with social media specifically, and especially in young kids, social media is important. I don't think taking away, I think taking away social media from people, even young people is bad, especially if they're already in it. But that is dependent on the individual. Of course, every child is different. Every parent, every situation, every state, country, right? We're all different. Different folks, different strokes mentality. So, but if your kid is like 17, 18, 19, and they're on TikTok, they're on Instagram, they got their friends there, and they're socializing a bit and maybe they're getting into some of the trends doing some of the stupid dances whatever. Is it harmful? A little bit. But not too bad. Are they if they doom scroll for an hours and hours on end, is that harmful? Sorta, of, but it's the equivalent of you sitting on the couch flipping through the channel on the TV back in the day if people ever do that. It's the same mentality. The bigger question is why are they doing it right then and there? I find myself doom scrolling not Often, I actually only do it when I'm going through a depressive episode. When I don't have the energy or the capacity to do something I'd rather be doing. So it's not really a willful choice. It's just to distract my brain for an hour. Is it the healthiest habit? No. Do I always do that when I'm depressed? No. I sometimes do it. It's not very consistent. And I'm not dependent on it. If you take my phone from me, I might freak out though. I'll be, I'll be honest. I, I never wanted to be that person where I'm like, I need my phone. But I do. But here's the difference. It's not because all my social media is loaded on there. That's part of it. It is that. I mean, yeah. It's how I operate in my life. It's my greatest tool. I write things. I have a long-distance relationship with my girlfriend, so that's how I keep in touch with her, which is vital. Uh, Most of my friends are also long-distance because I've moved around a lot in my life. I conduct my business. I record my podcasts. I edit lyric videos. I create 85 to 90% of what I create is on my phone. Could I do it on my computer? Yeah. Do I know how to? Yeah. Do I always want to? No. I don't always want to pull out my computer. You know, I can, and all the stuff I have backs up in various ways and I manually on a hard drive or in the cloud, which I always recommend you do, especially if you create like I do. So in case something happens to your phone, not everything is absolutely lost, right? That's part of it. But also, if I don't have my phone, I am I'm kind of fucked. It's also my flashlight. It is my calculator. Right? It is my way of looking something up when I'm unsure. I can't tell you how many times I look up words because I say them in a song or I write them down or I say them to somebody and I'm like, wait a second, is that really a word? I look up more words on my phone (laughs) than, um, than probably most people. You know? Phones have become an extension of people because they can do so many things so easily. A lot of people work through their phones now. I have created album covers, entire songs. I can now record an entire song on my phone. It it really is the all-in-one package because of the power of the processing, the diversity, the apps, all of that. It's a camera, it's a microphone, it's a recording studio, it's a video editing software, it's a texting platform, it's a video calling platform. It is a way to get into social media, to keep in touch with people, it is the all-in-one package. So a cell phone, a modern cell phone, a smartphone, is a vital tool. And depending on the age and the person and the usage of that, does have negative consequences. It's not a singular purpose device. Now, if you have a younger kid who doesn't do stuff like I do, right? that's the difference. I am creating a business. I have a brand. I have friends and family I keep in touch with. So... Also, I'm an adult, so no one's taking my phone away. But even if I lost my phone, that's why I back it up, because it has so much important data on it. But beyond that, that would suck. That would still set me back a bit. But, um, but beyond that, that's why it's so vital to people, I think. There are things that people do on their phone that you don't know about, and that's okay. And even in relationships, I think that's why this is becoming a growing problem. Privacy to that is important. I also have my daily journal on there. I journal daily. It helps my mental health. I log stuff. I don't want people to read those. They might. And if they do, okay, they just know more of me than I would be willing to share with everybody at once. But it makes it easier for me to keep up with. It does back up to the cloud. It is encrypted. And it and it makes it easier for me to... It also strengthens my memory. It's a great tool and it helps me get through life. That's on my phone, uh, it's not really even on the computer so that would be a great loss if I couldn't have a phone. You know what I mean? So these things are different for different people and it's how you utilize it. So when you see me on my phone it looks like I'm texting someone, I could be. I very much often am texting people, friends or my girlfriend or family or whatever. But of, oftentimes I'm writing, I'm doing a journal entry or I'm writing a song or a movie. I have over a thousand notes (laughs) in my Apple Notes thing. I know people don't use them, but I do. I love Apple Notes. You don't need a subscription to use it. So it's free, it's with the phone. I mean, if you have iCloud storage, it's great because you can up stuff better. Uh, You could convert it to a PDF if you didn't know. You could put pictures in there if you need. You can make tables, you can write bullet points, you can organize things. Get into subfolders and stuff. And you can just write and type. On your toolbar on the iPhone, you know, the bottom where you can fit four main apps that you normally go to. You know, as I mentioned before, I use Brave Search. So it's my notes, it's Brave, it's my music, and it's Instagram. Those are my four main access points. And a lot of people have text messages down there. I have it at the very top of my phone, you know first page. Cause I text people, but yeah, I, you know, I've just gotten used to that layout each their own. Anyway, um, I just think cell phones are really important tools, but it is dependent on how they use them. And for children, when they use social media devices, it can be damaging. They can get stuck in these loops. They can be mimicking or reiterating or repeating things that they've heard that aren't factual or aren't safe. Right. Some of these challenges are ridiculous, right? Everyone freaked out about the Tide Pod challenge. Everyone's now freaking out about TikTok. I think TikTok's an incredible tool. I was on TikTok in late 2019. I was amazed by its features. There is a reason why TikTok is so popular amongst everybody. And I don't think it's why... I don't think it's what you may realize either. You know, most people say, well, because you could blow up quickly. It's got a really good algorithm for expanded reach. It absolutely does. The simplified UI, you have a following tab of everyone you follow, and you have a for you page. And the for you page is absolutely randomized based on your interest, and that algorithm is very personal. The last 15 videos you watch will most likely have either the same user who's posting that stuff or something like that pop up it is a little bit of a problem because if you keep your eyes on one video for like more than 5 seconds it pretty much cat it hashes that it counts it so it throws it in the cycle so it may not be something you're interested in of course you can always hold down on the video say not interested and that'll let the algorithm know right the more you engage with a post or a user the more it'll show up that's basic algorithms most of them do that instagram for some reason, handicaps that, but it, they're getting back into doing that more, especially since August with videos and reels becoming a prominent factor. Instagram reels is just a copy of TikTok, just not as cool. Anyway, I think the reason why TikTok is so good, and it's growing and it's getting better, but I think the real reason wasn't just the viral sensation factor. Everyone knows being viral is very temporary. It's consistency. Even if you blow up, you can gain a lot of followers. If you maintain that that momentum, you all of a sudden have a massive following base. There are people who do not deserve these following bases. They're just—they're not doing anything. It's not like they're creating anything. They just made a TikTok, and they know how to dance. And you know, if you're a dancer, great. But if you're not, you just know how to dance. Or if you look attractive, which um, I know is an uncomfortable factor, but it definitely is. And it's a problem because there's a lot of minors on there. That's a very, very big safety thing. And I'm. I don't. I think minors should be allowed to be on there at the discretion of their parents and at them knowing the general safety and having some more safety features built in. But I don't think anyone should be excluded from the app just because of who they are. However, it is dangerous. And it's not pornographic. It's not. It is a company. It is regulated. It does follow FCC regulations and other global regulations and standards. But it is dangerous. There are creeps. A lot of them. And it's unfortunate. People will like and bookmark things that they find interesting or attractive. Some people don't use the bookmarks at all. I don't know. I use them all the time. Almost compulsively. I don't even know if I go back and really look at them. I use them mostly for cool videos, I find. I like them, and then I bookmark them as quickly as possible in case the feed refreshes or in case I have to go do something and I forget about it so I can share it or watch it later, especially if it's like an animation video. Man, stop-motion animation. I love it. My pages are filled with that and rappers, you know, stuff I find interesting, videos, tips, tricks, and then some of my friends or some just general people. You know, I follow a lot of people though, but anyway, um I think the thing about TikTok though is because it's so easy to doom scroll and all that, it can be damaging, but I think what actually attracts people subconsciously, whether or not they realize it, is the fluidity of the platform. Instagram's great, but it's a little clunky. It takes a second to load. Things are a little slower, there's some frame tearing. TikTok is finally getting some of that issue because it's so goddamn big and it has so much to load in. But TikTok is very streamlined. It's clean. It's polished. It's organized. It's easy. From a UI perspective, it's really easy to navigate. And then when you're actually tapping on things, there's haptic feedback. It's very smooth to scroll to the next video. There are apps that have tried and tried again to do the same thing. Reels just simply cannot do that. You go into Reels and you scroll a couple times, you might get a few smooth transitions, and then you hit with a loading screen or it slows down, it gets sluggish. It's not the end of the world. It almost instantaneously corrects itself. It's really not that big of a deal, but it makes a difference. TikTok is very, very streamlined. There's only been a few times where it's hit sluggish points when I've had good internet. Obviously, if you don't have good internet or cell reception, that inevitably will change regardless of the app design. I think that allows us to stay in it longer. I think they perfected that formula before they started letting people produce content on it. And I think that makes a huge impact on how we perceive and utilize TikTok. But lawmakers and people around the world are saying it's a safety issue. It was made in China. It was made by a Chinese company. So therefore there's data breaching. They're they're getting information off people. They are. (laughs) They absolutely are. Don't be mistaken about that. But please understand something folks. They are, and that is always something to consider. How much data is a country collecting of a populace? But remember, TikTok is the most popular app on the globe right now. It's got billions of users on it. Billions. That's a fuck ton of people. Can you get general info from a lot of people? Yeah. Could you probably get more personal info and insights, especially how direct that algorithm is? You could probably tell what their interest, what they like, who they find attractive, things like that. That's weird, that's eerie, and that's something to be mindful of. And you have to know that going in and kind of consent to that. I have. I didn't fully understand the scale of how direct that algorithm was because I got it before it was really blowing up It's starting to. And I, and I was using it for my branding stuff, and I still do. And I'm trying to get better at that. But anyway, it's also a great video creating suite. It's one of the best in-app video suites you could possibly use. It has more features than some video editing softwares. So that's what makes it so popular. You can do everything in-app, and it's really useful, and it has good exposure. You can build a fan base. Problem is, it's still social media. You have to keep up with that fan base, and it doesn't mean jack shit. Because it's so viral, it's so temporary. Obviously, if you build a following and you get paid for it or you get them to do other things and get promos, that's different, but that's a different breed. Those are people who are content creators or influencers, and they do it for a living. I'm not talking about I'm talking about the average user or someone trying to use it for their business. It's still really good to get reach, but it's a global reach, and it's randomized. So it's really hard to pinpoint an audience, but you can still build one. Definitely can. And depending on who you are and what you're doing, you... You really can hit a direct audience. It's a very powerful and important tool. It's a great tool for communication. It helps people communicate and stay in tune with the world as well. But I also want people to realize it is a company. It's a for-profit app software company like Instagram or Meta, if you will, like all these other platforms, and while its origins and its headquarters are in China, and that is something to be concerned of of what is China taking data and what are they gonna utilize or weaponize if they are. But I don't see. I could see them doing that. I just don't know. I don't maybe they're just profiling people more directly. But other companies and brands that they have that we use can still do that as well. I think the fear of what a country could do with the technology they have actually restricts the importance of social media. It creates a wall. It reduces this globalization idea. It reinstitutes isolationism, which I don't agree with. I understand it from a national security standpoint, and if there are people who are being breached and compromised, and it is directly being used for malintent, then that's a conversation between the users and the platform and between the regulations that could be put in place to prevent and dissuade that. That being said... When you look at the amount of people using TikTok, also in America, they have a, they have four TikTok headquarters in America and yeah, while their parent company is still owned, you know, ByteDance, it's still China, right? Which I think they changed their name to TikTok now just because of the success, but anyway, When they, when it's like that, yeah, it's still, that's the parent company. They have to report earnings. They have to, you know, report to them, but all the data and information and user interaction is in America. It's in the States and it's, the employees are mostly American. I I don't know a hundred percent. Obviously there's probably some that are, you know, moved from China, but like it's a big disconnect. It's a parent company. You had to treat it like that. It, video games do it all the time. Right? Ninja Kiwi, developers of Bloons Tower Defense, which I talked about in my previous episode. Great game. Go check out the podcast. Um, they were acquired in 2020 by a company called MTG. I don't exactly understand what MTG does, but they seem to be doing pretty good for Bloons. And they're based in Sweden. Bloons is based in Auckland, New Zealand. I hope I pronounced that properly. apologize if I didn't. Um... It's not really affecting Bloom's Tower Defense. It's actually improving it greatly. They get more resources. Ninja Cuba gets their own independence. I don't know the agreements between the American headquarters as opposed to the Chinese headquarters. I don't know, so I can't fully speak on that. But I have an inkling that it's probably very difficult to navigate that, and so they allow a lot of freedom within. And also rules, regulations in terms of apps being allowed and continuing to be allowed, still have to go through processes on a federal level for general cybersecurity and consumer protection policies in America. And they are separate from rules in other countries. So, yeah, it still may be a little predatory. may not be the safest thing. And it definitely could be cracks in the foundation that need to be patched up. So it's stuff to look into. But right now, state, legislative, and federal um, things are no longer allowed to have TikTok. But the, my problem is that TikTok's been around for almost four and a half years now, Jesus. And and been popular for three. And they're just now getting around to this. Trust me, folks. If they are collecting data and you were using TikTok for, through the pandemic, which is when it really blew up through 2020 to now, trust me, they've got enough data. It doesn't matter if you don't use it anymore. I guess they can't get new data. But still, it's one of those things that feels kind of like a red scare tactic. Some fear-mongering political discourse. It could be legitimate. And I understand there are legitimate national security concerns. And there always has been with TikTok. And it isn't always the healthiest or safest thing to be using. But I also don't think it's like inherently evil. And I think if we treat it like that, we cause actually a new issue. Um, There's always going to be apps. And I think it's better to just have curriculum, have Materials have sources and information for parents and students and children and and general consumers to safely take part in things. We know as a fact that banning something doesn't actually resolve the issue for the most part. right? It could reduce it, but it doesn't really solve it. If you ban condoms in a state, which there has been talks of that, which is fucking outlandish, but if you ban condoms in a state, you're going to have more teenage pregnancies. You're just going to. It's just natural. It's been proven. It's happened. It happens time and time again. And you know the reason why they usually ban them is to prevent abortion for some fucking reason, which I don't think any legislative body should have any direct say on how you want to pursue treatment for your body. How you, you know, I I, I don't get that. I don't get when people are like, yeah, laissez-faire, government needs to be hands-off. It's my guns, it's my property, it's my money, right? That's, you know, we have these freedoms as Americans. It's inherent because of that. But then they want to control people's bodies. That's weird. Weird stuff. So I think TikTok... It needs to be a conversation. It needs to be practicing safe cybersecurity methods. It needs to be teaching kids. You need to teach kids how to do it safely with healthy chunks of time. I think that goes for anything because anything can become a problem if you use it too much. TikTok's very addictive, but it's also an incredible tool and a platform, so I don't think it should be completely taken away. right? It's also entertainment, and it helps people through life, so I don't think that's the case. I think just teaching kids who may be addicted or may be taking too much from it and losing opportunities because of it. They might need direct help, and that's on a parenting level. But I do think there should be resources and tools within TikTok, without outside of TikTok, that can help curb some of these habits because they are quite detrimental. I'm addicted to TikTok, but not to the point where I can't put it down. I delete the app every once in a while. I I can uninstall it, or I can just not use it. I didn't use it for an entire week last week. No reason specifically, I just decided not to, just to kind of, you know, break my habit of not being as reliable on it. Instagram, I wish I could do that, and I try to, at least from a consumer standpoint, but because I use it constantly for promoting my brand, it's a little different. But having that divide between consumerism And productivity just depends on the individual and how you utilize it. So to summarize, I think technology is an incredible tool. I think it's a beautiful thing that allows us to communicate, connect, learn, grow. As people, as an industry, as your own personal entity, whatever you're trying to do, it allows more opportunities. There are risks, cybersecurity risks. There are mental health risks in terms of getting addicted or reliant on using it as a tool of escape. But that doesn't mean that there aren't other things in life that can do the same thing, right? So I think it's a conversation about how do we approach these in healthy, safe ways from a cybersecurity standpoint, from a mental health standpoint, and from a social community dialogue. How do we approach this as a, as a country, as a peoples, as a species, as whatever, whatever it may be, to still maintain Things that we fear we are losing because of technology, and how do we adapt, improve, and maneuver through the changes of technology? Technology comes all the time. New technologies shift the way humanity functions, and there's always rough periods of transition, right? From the industrial age to the military complex, industrial age growing, right? When the tractor was invented, that was pretty controversial for farmers. You know what I mean? Things like that. But they still found a way to persevere. And even though there are risks, and it does directly impact people, sometimes for the worse, it doesn't mean that you can't put habits, safeties, protocols, and have communication in place to prevent, to reduce, or to curb those worse side effects of the incredible tools of technology. Outright banning it, or talking negatively about it all the time as if it's the end days, isn't a healthy way of looking at the problem and solving it. We are problem solvers as humans, so we need to figure out what are the problems? How can we address them? What can we ask of our government? What can we ask of these companies that institute these tools and technologies at our disposal? How can we better, you know, balance these things out so people can have them as a tool, as a way to communicate, as a way to reach out, but also people who are at risk where it can damage them don't have to endure. And a lot of that is just self-regulation. Figuring out within your own confines how you see fit to manage what you have in front of you. That goes for anything. If you know you're prone to being addicted, you probably shouldn't smoke crack. That's a pretty big no-brainer, yeah? It doesn't mean you won't. and It doesn't mean that if you do, you are falling victim to addiction and you need help. Those are still things that can very well, well happen and, and if you need help, you should get it. But taking preventative measures or being aware of the consequences and at least understanding the possible implications of doing something is important. Inform and informed in society is, uh, is a thriving one, in my opinion. And knowledge is key. And so the movement of counter-knowledge and conspiracy theories that are bolstered and actually shotgunned through the uh, echo chambers of our daily uh, discourse is becoming an ongoing issue, in my opinion. The amount of conspiracy theories, the amount of fake or not fully uh, fact-checked information is detrimental. The way that some of these shortcuts that these tools provide us can be abused and reduce the amount of critical thinking on an individual is detrimental. But it doesn't mean that you ban these tools and it doesn't mean you stop people from using them. It just means we have to combat it with better, clearer information in a way that the current society could understand and digest properly. So the problem isn't, is this technology taking over our lives? No, the problem is that when we feel it is, we don't do anything about it because it's easier not to. So if you do feel like technology is taking over your life, you have to figure out something to do about it. Right? Whatever that may be for you personally or for someone else. Because technology overall is a beautiful and helpful thing to society. From its baseline functioning point, for the most part. But the thing that really changes the way technology impacts others is how we as people use it. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a great day.